Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to you it's 9.04 on a Monday Auckland anniversary day and wherever you are around the rest of the country I trust you are well if that didn't wake you up I don't know what will it's a busy old morning we uh, we love our NFL here at SENZ and the Chiefs Ravens game has just got underway so that's going to be one to, to keep an eye on and we will keep you in store with updates on that one uh, the quarterback matchup man it is uh, so cool so we're looking forward to that along with the other game I think it's about 12.30 and that'll be the the 49ers with Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy up against Jared Groff and the Detroit Lions. Can the Detroit Lions, will the fairy tale continue in the NFC Championship game? Coming in just a moment, we're going to talk to Jonathan Green, international motorsport commentator, who is the voice of the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceania Championship. Many would just like to call it the Toyota Racing Series, but that's how she rolls. It was a busy weekend at Manfield. Uh, then we're just going to get your thoughts on test cricket. I really want Daniel McCarty uh, had a little bit of a sermon the other day on Test cricket and the importance of Test cricket and how he loves Test cricket. So we're going to talk about that because when you see what happened at the Gabba with the Windies upsetting the Australians in amazing fashion, and wasn't it so cool to see a West Indian quick do the damage? And then old Bears ball in India, I think it was in Hyderabad, um, then it was was all good as well. So it's going to be a busy morning, and I want your thoughts, 0800 150 That's 0800 150 and the Temper Bedpost text machine on double eight double three. All right, the big talking point, if you're a motorsport aficionado with the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceania Championship, there, I said it again, is a young kid out of a Poland called Roman Belinsky, and he is blimmin' good. He's Belinsky good. Uh, Jonathan Green joins me now, I think from the airport in Palmerston North. Hey, JG, how are you, mate? Yeah, blimmin' good is correct. He's creating a Roman Empire, I think. Yeah. Oh, the early, early <laughs> eh? shots fired. Shots fired. I get up early, you know. <laughs> you can't. You can't catch me. When you? No. You, great you, weekend. Great th- weekend. Thirteen years. You. I think we're year thirteen for you now. Calling the series, right? Yeah. So, yep, have you years. have you ever seen anyone have a start like this? No. Uh, Lando Norris. That's about the only one who 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 came here, and we knew immediately that that you know he or. He'd, ha- he'd have to drop the ball to lose it, and I think that's where Roman is at the moment. He, he you know, he's he's on top of it, uh, consistent, 
that fast. You know, I mean, he's just he's just not making mistakes, and the mistakes that are happening are not under his control. If, if you know what I mean, there's, there's there's always problems in five weeks, and you know, you've seen it as I've seen it over the years. You're gonna drop a race or two not by your own fault, and it's a matter of being uh, consistent for the others. Well, you mentioned Lando Norris because we know this. we were celebrating the 300th race of the Toyota Racing yep. Series, which, of course, Roman Bilinski won. Roman won, yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing. You've just mentioned Lando Norris. So if you mention Lando Norris, can, can you say potentially Bilinski goes the same way? Uh, there's no reason why not. He's young. Um, he's in a good team. He's already in Frecker. Um, and uh, he's got the experience there. He's going back. And think about how sharp he'll be. And that's the, you know, that's the secret source of this championship is that you do five weeks here and you are streets ahead of anybody on a simulator or uh, you know, anybody who's, who's been training because you're race sharp. You know, you've been racing. He's done, he'll have done 3,500 kilometers when he gets there. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's going to blitz it, but he's going to be in a good position. Are you surprised that the young Americans who have come out, uh, we've got uh, Patrick Woods-Toth, the Canadian, who is the uh, F4 American champion, and the, and, and the like, haven't really got going? No, not really, um, because they're all, they're all wet behind the ears. These guys came out to learn. They didn't come out to win. You'll see Jacob Abel arriving here, and he will give Roman a run for his money. And, in fact, I'm looking forward to that uh, tussle because, of course, Jacob Abel uh, is, is – is, on, on the money, he's indie lights, and he's been going for in America for a while, and he was great last year. So we'll see. You know, the last two rounds are going to be t- touch and go because the table will make a thing. The other Americans are just starting out; they've just moved up to FR, like Titus Sherlock and Landon uh, Matriano Lim. They've they're all just making the step up. So if you say that to me next year, for example, Ryan Sheehan was what tenth last year, mm. and then was runner up to Callum Hedge or third third overall. Uh, sorry, runner-up to Callum Hedge in FR in America. So he improved dramatically and beat Callum, uh, you know, on, on several occasions. So, you know, which is a lot different than he where he was last year. Jonathan, what's changed in the American open-wheel system that suddenly it's cool to race? Gary Orton. <laughs> no, Kiwi Motorsport are the most successful team in, um, in America at the moment, and he is bringing through young Mexicans, young Brazilians, young uh, Americans. And I do think that the Formula One interest with the FIA has sparked a lot of interest in that side of not just thinking of Indy, um, but actually thinking that there's a whole world out there. Jack Crawford's proving it, you know, Manuel Correa. There's so many young Americans now um, all making it on the international scene. And I think this is their realization that the possibility of 18 super license points is, you know, is the way to go. Explain the super license points to those that don't understand well, the, the, need, the reality. Yeah. So if you want to be a Formula One driver, you need plus 40 points, right? And uh, basically, if you win this championship, you're halfway there. Uh, and in fact, if you've already picked up points and it, it gathers over a couple of years, you could be in a position with, like, let's say Roman, right? If he could win the championship and then go well and get more super license points, he could be up to you know maybe 30 points or something. And then the teams will start looking at him because he's then on the edge of getting that super license points. And that might mean a test. It might mean a reserve driver. It might mean anything. The opportunity starts to create itself once you start gaining those points. Yeah, but the question still remains, uh, are teams looking at this championship and going, actually, it's, it's the super, are, they, are they cheap super license points? Yes, they are. And I tell you, Michael Andretti is looking at this championship because one of his drivers is coming down. Uh, and I know that Ganassi are looking at this championship. Uh, now, okay, those are two uh, you know, IndyCar teams. 
and and Shreki might not be. So, yes, he'll be keeping a wary eye on the young Americans coming up and any international drivers. It's not a case of they have to be Americans. We all know that formula racing, you know, open wheel racing can be expensive. Is Formula Regional and Formula 4 in America more accessible now than it's ever been? Yes. I think if you compare it to the costs in Europe and living in Europe, the American cost is cheaper, and I think that's another plus. Uh, the guy who runs the series, Tony Perella, has set it up that way. We've got a new car in F4 next year, um, but he's managed to keep because he has a, a large, he has Trans Am, he has historic racing, and that kind of bankrolls a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff that you would need if you were just on your own doing F4 and F3. So he puts it into a big weekend of racing, which you know everybody therefore benefits, and, and it's not as expensive and like the Toyota racing series they provide tires from one one manufacturer all the engines are sealed you know the, the, the chassis and the parts are all ready to go so yes it's a lot more accessible than perhaps trying to do it on your own in the Italian F4 championship you're you know? a bit like the man on the ground in Austin Texas you know the feel and the vibe of what Americans think about motorsport and and you, you're close to Kota and the whole nine lads do you do you are you nervous that the gloss might come off uh, the three Formula One races in America, if the competitive nature of it isn't stronger? It's bound to. You know, you, the, the gloss of Vegas is bound to wear off. I mean, over 10 years, you can't get excited every year. And how many big stars can you bring out? So, yeah, of course. But, you know, look at Austin. It had 400,000 people there. So the gloss hasn't gone off in 12 years in Austin. And now we've got three races. And I think Miami will improve. All boats rise, you know. So I, I, think, I think we will ride this wave for a while. But the more important thing, and you only need to look at Williams, American, Haas, American, uh, Zach Brown, McLaren, potentially American, um, you know, Formula and of course, the team, the, the ownership is American. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't, that gloss is going to be rebuilt uh, uh, year after year. And I think it will include Canada and South America as it grows. There are, there are many, many stories, many, many columns about Formula One and the future of Haas. You know, and a lot of these people, yep. you wonder where they're getting their information from. You are on the deck. Does Haas survive? Does he sell to Andretti, or is that just is that just what they call paper talk? Um, I think it's an option, um, but he has come out in the press and said he doesn't want to sell. And if I know Gene Haas, you know, he doesn't like failure, and he's got his name on the side of the car. So um, I think this is a, a change of direction for him and uh, with Guntic leaving. But I do think he's in for the for the you know for the next Concord agreement. It was a big decision five years ago when you know when he signed up because we knew he was in for five years. And in those five years, they've gone backwards. And I think that's part of the reason they got rid of Gunter. Not that he's a bad guy. It's just that he. It's just like an American philosophy of all right, team's not winning, fire the head coach. You know. Um, so I think that's a little bit of what he's doing. And he's a very successful NASCAR owner. It's not like he's new to racing. So he'll sort it out, um, and, and I think um, they'll go for a transition, uh, and we are going for a transition in Formula 1. So let's, let's judge that at 26. But is the option to sell to Andretti? Hell yeah. Would Andretti be a success? Yes, big time. I get annoyed with Formula 1, especially Toto Wolff, saying that Andretti's done very well in America, but he, you know, he couldn't do well on, on a global thing. Well, let me just throw Formula E, Formula Extreme, uh, V8 supercars at him and say that's where Andretti is. So Toto, get back in your box. You you must sometimes wonder because Andretti spent a lot of money on a brand new system, a, a brand new headquarters, a global headquarters. I think they refer to it. That yeah. he he must yeah. know these. He he's close to getting the tech. It's just the owners being a pain. Oh yeah, yeah. And by the way, he didn't pay for it. I mean, he's got sponsors like you know, uh, <laughs> smart man. You know, he he. he 
he's getting he's getting you know he's getting it paid for. He's a very good businessman. I work with his cousin Adam in Trans Am, and I get to know a little bit of intel. And he tells me Michael is a very very good businessman, and uh, he, he, I can assure you that they'll be there. I'm sure. Hey, listen, stop asking me questions. I've got a surprise for you. Uh, yeah. Okay. What's the surprise? Uh, what do you mean? Okay. You keep talking about this Roman Belinsky. Do you want to meet him? Oh, have you got Belinsky beside you? Right here. Yeah, hand the right phone. now. Hand, hand the phone. Hey, just hand the bloody phone over. All well, right. Well, he did. He, I asked him to do the interview, and he said, "No, I'm, I'm going to be on a plane." Hello. Hey, Roman. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very good. Oh, how are you doing? You know who it is, right? The guy that sticks the microphone up your nose after you after you keep winning. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, uh, so thanks for turning me down. I appreciate that. And now you've turned up, so I'm, I'm, I'm even uh, more appreciative. How are you feeling after yes, the, the weekend? Very strong weekend. Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel absolutely incredible, to be honest. Uh, what a weekend to win the 300 Grand Prix and also the trophy race uh, in the end. So, uh, no, an absolute great feeling and uh, a huge thank you to the team. Roman, I've got to ask you this question. You don't sound Polish. <laughs> well, uh, I, I had a lot of my growing up in England, so maybe that's why. Ah, uh, uh, yes. No, um, now I'm trying to really focus on my Polish and things like this. And uh, no, it's, uh, I'm definitely trying to get a bit closer to Poland. Um, as I've got a lot of family out there, so uh, that should be very nice. Okay, but we'll just stick to English right now and talk about where where, where you think your career trajectory is going. Where After this series, no matter how it turns out, what's next on the table for Roman Belinsky? Well, I mean, uh, I'm already signed for Freca, so the European Championship for this year with Trident. And then after that, I mean, obviously, I'd like to... Go to Formula Three, depending on sponsorship and things like this. And from there, um, we're going to have to see with super license points and everything like that uh, what the best option is. But of course, uh, my main goal is to be a Formula One world champion. But uh, there's a lot of learning and a lot of time before then. How did you get into motor racing? Um, so I started in karting, but actually very late. I started when I was 12. And um, my father was always into motorsport. My mum actually worked in Formula One, um, and she worked uh, with Ayrton Senna uh, in Rothman Williams uh, at the time back then. She also worked in the Superbikes, so uh, I got a bit of an interest from that, but uh, as soon as I drove a go-kart, I knew this was for me. Did you, did you feel at that stage you, were, you might be a natural at it? <laughs> I, I don't know, um, but uh, I had a few good comments and uh, a bit of practice and no, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity and now I'm in a very good place, so uh, I guess it paid off quite well. I asked you yesterday, did you think it would be going this well so early? Have you, have you thought about the question again and, and sat down after the weekend and gone, actually, I, I feel good, I feel really confident? I... I for sure, I feel confident, but I don't want to be too confident. Um, like, there's some very good drivers that are in the championship now, and there's some more that are going to be coming into the championship. I think it helps in a lot of ways, but, um, yeah, for sure, I don't want to be overconfident, but uh, it does help. I've had a very good uh, 
two weeks, but I still need to push and let's see what happens. How are you finding the challenge of learning new tracks for the first time and, you know, first time you're out there and going, oh, okay, and then delivering? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult because um, especially the guys that are from here, they have so much knowledge of the tracks, even knowing where the small bumps are, you know, makes a huge difference to the car. So a lot of learning happens on Thursday and Friday, but uh, I'm working so hard with the team to make sure I know as much as possible when it comes to qualifying. Your engineer, Victor, you seem to have uh, got a very quick relationship going there. How much of a help is he? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. I mean, Victor's great. He works so hard. He can be pretty hard on me sometimes, um, but I think that that's a good thing. But <laughs> no, uh, the whole team at M2 has done a great job. They've got a great car, and uh, you know, it's good that they, they really push us. And also my teammates, you know, they're very fast, so... It's good that we all push each other to new levels. Well, you've got a lovely uh, track at Hampton Downs in Auckland, uh, this, or just out of Auckland this weekend. It's a it's a long, sweeping track with some challenging corners, so we look forward to seeing you there, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Don't hang the phone up. Give it back to Jonathan. I won't. He's here. He's here. There you go, world-exclusive. What do you want? What do you want? Have you dried out yet? Yeah, no, oh, gosh, yeah, I dried. I changed, changed at Palmerston North Airport after being sloshed at Ugh. Manfield. Hey, uh, one thing people really have no understanding of is who's Jonathan Green? Where did Jonathan Green, where did Jonathan Green start? Where did that whole commentary I, thing start? Ah, good question. Well, actually, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm the poster child of my university because I, I did broadcast journalism at college and I'm, I'm, I'm still doing it. So, yes, uh, I started off that, but my, my motor racing connection, I often get asked if I've ever raced, and the truth is, no, never raced. But I had a very famous uh, godfather stroke uh, dad's best friend, uh, dad's best man at his wedding, and a guy called Brian Redmond, a three-time uh, winner of the Formula 5000, Daytona winner, um, you know, Mila Milia winner and multiple, 14 times at Le Mans. So a hell of a racing driver in his own time. So that's how I grew up, was following his career. And then then, you, then, then the bug got and you. And he raced bro- here, actually. He raced in the Tasman series, too. Oh, gosh. did you, When did the broadcast bug hit you, though? Ah, well, I, that's what I say. I studied uh, broadcast journalism uh, and then literally got went back to England. I was, I was studying it uh, here in the States and then went back to England and got a job in ITV on the smallest... Uh, television uh, station in England on the Channel Islands in Jersey. So I was chasing <laughs> cats and dogs up trees for my first year. <laughs> what, ch- but poodle racing, calling poodle racing or something like that? But, but, but to answer your question, I was then the, the year after I was working as a news reporter covering sport and I was sat in the newsroom and somebody said, oh God, motor racing, will somebody go and interview Nigel Mansell? Uh, 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 he's quit. And he's at Silverstone. <laughs> All the other reporters went, oh, no, no. So, of course, I leapt up and didn't get Nigel, but managed to get an interview with Sterling Moss. So from there on in, that was it. I got my first interview, Sterling Moss. Not bad. I was, I was talking to a youngster yesterday that said, my first memory of superbikes was hearing you call superbikes world superbikes. Yeah, that was it. I did 15 years of world superbikes, yeah. Uh, and it was great. I did MotoGP as well. But the superbikes is what I went on the road. Uh, with uh, my co-commentator, and we did every round for 15 years. And it was amazing. Yeah. Where do you think Superbikes is now? Do you think its popularity is closer, and I say closer, to MotoGP? 
Um, it's a tough one, Matt. It's a really good question. I think MotoGP will always remain the sort of Formula 1 to mm. like to be in the Formula 2. Um, and there is uh, more crossover than there used to be. Uh, but I think the heady days of Carl Fogarty and Anthony Gobert, sadly, we've lost him recently, uh, and Troy Corsa are over. And while Johnny Ray is flying the flag, the young Irishman, I do think that, that so I, I think it's to do, because if you think about it, it's like touring cars. It's a bit, if you think about the history of V8 now in, in Australia, it can't last forever because, you know, they're just not making big muscle cars anymore. It's not, it's not the go. And the same is true of, you know, high CC superbikes because they're not as popular as they were because, um, you know, people are going towards electric and to, uh, away from it. So I, I think that the, the heady days of world superbikes in the 90s May maybe you know may not come back, uh, which is sad to say. But um, I still think it's a great sport, uh, and I still think it'll be up there for at least another ten, twenty years. Do you see the sustainable future for motorsport? A sustainable future with fossil fuels and things like that, or and and how much pressure is motorsport coming under? I think a lot of pressure, uh, but I think both the oil companies and motor racing has taken you know, has realized it ahead of time, Formula One, and look what we're doing with the fossil fuels here. Um, and I think that's a smart move because obviously you lose the relationship with the car owners if you don't go down the hybrid stroke electric road. Um, but I always say, and this is when we get into arguments in the pub, if I've had a few drinks, I always say, we're still racing horses, aren't we? <laughs> and, and I do think, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, we, it might be a bit of an enigma, but the idea of going to Brown Patch and watching a bunch of guys zoom around in, in some really fast cars, yeah. I don't think will change. I, don't, I really don't. Um, and, and, and I don't care what the power unit is. Um, I don't want it to sound like a chalkboard or Formula E. Sorry, Formula E. Um, but, um, you know, I do, I do think that, that the combustion engines will not go away uh, and, the, and the garagistas, as Mr. Ferrari used to call us, will continue because that's what we love to do. All right, mate. I appreciate your time, as always. Travel safe and behave. Me behave? I'll try to stay away from water. Okay, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Jonathan Green, uh, commentator for the Castrol Tour of Formula Regional Oceania Championship. <laughs> Flowers has just scored a TD for the Baltimore Ravens uh, after Travis Kelsey scored the first one for the Chiefs. It'll be tied up at seven. Hell of a throw, hell of a catch. What, what, Finn's shaking his head going, oh, yeah, how good was that, mate? That was ridiculous, man. I was just watching it while, while you're talking to Jonathan there. Lamar Jackson's getting absolutely blitzed by this Chiefs defense. He's backing up, backing up and just throws a Hail Mary over the top. What a touchdown. It that was, is beautiful. Uh, you don't, yeah, we, and we haven't seen too many of those this year, right? Because defences are so, so strong. So it is all tied up in the AFC Championship game and the Baltimore sideline is going ballistic, as are the crowd in Baltimore. Wow. <laughs> Seven apiece. 9.26. Okay. Talkback time. Uh, do you think your motorsport has a sustainable future? Uh, Jonathan's just said, you know, internal combustion engines stick around because people love noise, but they are running fossil-free, basically fuel, uh, in this uh, CT Frock Championship that I'm involved in at the moment. And uh, it's completely synthetic in that the carbon emissions, they are at 74.4% less carbon emissions from this particular fuel. And it's the first championship in the world of this type to run fossil-free fuel. So does motorsport have a, 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 a future with combustion engines? The other one too is test cricket. We're going to talk test cricket shortly because I... With the results over the weekend, you know, it's the first time in 27 years that uh, the West Indies have beaten Australia in Australia. And then England, Basball comes to play 
And it's Pope, 196, gets them out of trouble because they were in a little bit of trouble. And again, though, four-day tests. Four-day tests, not five, four. Do you think the ICC will wake up and go, we don't need five days anymore because the way test cricket is evolving. You know, for me, Finn, on the back of this one, test cricket's evolving like this because I think of the influence of T20. It's not a new conversation, but we're seeing it more and more now, aren't we? Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's a different game nowadays compared to what it was. I mean, it's it's the oldest form of cricket, right? It's... Maybe four days is the way to go, but who I mean, knows? But, but you still have the you still have the drama because Test cricket is about drama and batsmen and that that gladiatorial part of the game is still very important. But it would appear that the the ability or desire to want to bash it and get rid of it real quick is more is 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 more prevalent now. So I'd love your thoughts. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. How do you want to see test cricket going forward? Do you want to see four-day tests, five-day tests? I would love to know what you're thinking on this anniversary day morning here in the, the Big Smoke and around the country as well. 0800 150811. You can text on the Timber Bedpost text line double eight double three, but I would rather talk to you, frankly. I'd have to talk to Finn all day then, and that's no fun. 0800 150811, right here on SCNZ. SNZ on a Monday, the 29th of January, 2024. Where did the first month of the year go, by the way? It's 9.34. You are the voice, by the way. You you make us go, and we want to hear your voices on what you think about Test Cricket. Where do you see the future of Test Cricket? Uh, Marsha just goes, Morena, great win for the Winnies. It was worth it just to see the look on old sandpaper Smith's face. Yeah, yeah, stick it in. Stick it in, Marsha. Why not? But should it be four days? Should it stay at five days? And what about the bales? That gra- Did you see that story, uh, Finn, about the, the weight of the bales now and the cost of the bales in Test Cricket? So the old wooden bales used to be nine grams. Now the new battery-operated, and when I say battery-operated ones, they have to be recharged because they can light up, you know, for entertainment purposes, right? But they're 27 grams, and there was a case in one of the tests, or the tests where uh, Kerry was uh, the hit that bought the stumps, you know, early on in the piece, didn't fall off, not out, goes on hit 65. But did you know the cost of one wicket? Here is the because there's all sorts of stuff in there, wires and all that. So, do you know the cost? Tell me, tell me. I'm not sure. Thirty thousand Australian dollars per wicket. Wow, that's, so, that's insane. So when you look at that, you've got two six wickets. You know, you've literally got a hundred two hundred thousand dollars worth of wickets. So you break one of those, the ICC are wincing every time you hit or break one. And the way Sharma Joseph was going, you pray just break one, just break one for the hell of it. So test cricket. Where do you stand on this? Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. That's oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. We know where Daniel McCarty stands. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's sermon. Daniel of the day is for the great Smithy. Test cricket is dying, they say. It's on the way out. 
It's old news. It's a relic. Something from a bygone era. Can't compete in the face of this fast-paced world we live in and can't compete against its cousin, T20 cricket. It's a line of thinking I've heard a lot, a lot, for a very, very long time, for well over a decade, decade and a half more. In fact, I've heard people been writing crickets, test crickets, obituary, especially once T20 leagues like the IPL were launched back in 2008. But when do calls mimic the boy who cried wolf? Because for something that is supposedly dying out, a lot of you want to go and see it. Five weeks out from the much-anticipated Black Caps Test Series against Australia, Wellington's Basin Reserve, New Zealand's premier cricket ground. New Zealand cricket has confirmed the first four days of the first test are already sold out. Not a ticket can be found for four days of test cricket at New Zealand's premier cricket venue. I'm not sure if you've heard that before. And by the way, it's the best by the length of the straight. Uh, and you know what? I think it would be a five-day sellout, but New Zealand cricket only sells tickets for the first four days of test matches. When I see interests like this, when I see thousands of Kiwis make the pilgrimage to the MCG for the Boxing Day test in 2019, when I see the public's reaction to New Zealand's climb to the top of the world test arena in 2021, when I see massive crowds in England regularly and elsewhere from time to time, it leads me to think that the constant claims that Test Cricket is dying, somewhat overblown? Yes. And get, get me, be, let's be very right on this. There are issues. I'm not ignoring that. Some of those issues are significant when assessing the future of the longest and purest form of the game. The game can be accused of eating itself checks, notes and looks at the South African squad now in New Zealand for the Test Series against uh, the Black Caps. But there is still a place for Test cricket long term. I'm bullish on that. It's just diminished. It's not dying. It's not going to be extinct anytime soon. You strike the right balance between opposition, occasion, player availability and a wonderful venue. I hear the basin is. They will come. The fans that is. Now, it will be interesting to see how New Zealand goes against Australia, aside many of us, me included, who think we've got a mental block against. Who will the Black Caps play against Australia? Well, we will get our first indication tomorrow when the Black Caps selectors announce their squad for the two-match series against South Africa. Will Rajan Ravindra finally get the same support from the selectors he does from the public? Will they pick a specialist spinner, or will they go with the old four-card trick of pace, 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 and more pace in their attack? Who will keep wicked if Blundell is ruled out with injury? Is Kyle Jamieson fit enough to play his first home test in nearly two years? Lots of questions and talking points ahead of what should be a sparkling late summer of test cricket for which you can hear every single ball right here on SENZ. And that was Daniel McCarty's sermon uh, late last week about Test cricket. And when you see what unfolded uh, over the weekend, you can understand uh, much of what he was talking about, even in the reference to South Africa bringing a poor team. But then you look across the ditch front and you see the West Indies go and beat Australia for the first time on Australian soil in 27 years, and they were pumped by 10 wickets in the first test, uh, you, go, you go, well, actually, maybe we're all getting a bit carried away here. And that don't, don't, you know, don't judge the book by its cover, that old one. I don't think you should rule out test cricket at all. I think it is such an entertaining form of cricket at the end of the day. Like, for true cricket lovers, 
and people that really appreciate the game of cricket. Like Daniel McCarty obviously is a very, very passionate mm. cricket supporter. And I had a great conversation with him about this on Friday. He was saying, there's so many things about cricket that people don't understand. And of course, it's bowling, getting wickets and hitting runs. But the one thing that he told me, which is so important and is very like a massive display in test cricket is time. How long you can stay out in the crease and how long you can stay out and, and bat from, for many hours on end. It's such an underrated part of the game. And I, I think that's just so cool. Does, does it do, I mean, how old are you? You're 21? 22. 22. Does it do it for you? I do still very much enjoy Test cricket. Like if I, I love watching very close Test cricket matches. Like you watch when Neil Wagner at the Basin Reserve bowled out uh, Jimmy Anderson for that win uh, at the start of the last year, and that was just honestly the most exciting cricket game I've I've been watching in a very long time. Now, now the reason I asked the question was concentration span. You know, there's all you know there's the, that that whole, that whole narrative that young young people have no time for uh, to sit around in five hours or ten hours or and just watch stuff, and they'll just go onto YouTube and watch it. Do you think that will be even taken into account at any stage about where Test cricket could evolve to? Yeah, I feel like it has to because you know. Well, you're 22. Uh, yeah, but, but you're... I mean, I, I I can't say I'm going to sit down and watch a full five day Test cricket match. Mm. Like it's almost near impossible. Like you said, everyone has things to do with their life, but you know, I always keep up with the score, what's going on, who's scoring. Like I'll, I'll have it on in the background, like while I'm at home. And, really, know, old school styles have SNZ on the background, and yeah, while, yeah, while you're yeah. painting Dad's fence, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll be at home like playing some video games. Like oh, I got you know the current commentary on in the background, just kind of figuring out what's going on because you know you got to keep up with it, especially if it's your home country and you want to understand how good like what, what's happening in the game, who's playing well. But do you have a cricket uh, background in the sense of just even being involved, watching it with mates, or going somewhere? Yeah, well, I used to play when I was a lot younger throughout my uh, primary school years, yeah, and then yeah. you know I still have some friends that that do play like social cricket, and I will go and like support them on the weekend and stuff like that. Every every now and then, like it's a it's a great sport. I, I will say I did go off it for a little bit, but uh, you know as of recently, I've definitely been you know appreciating the sport a little bit more for what it is. Oh, a big word there, appreciate it too. It's interesting to know the time time. That is that's that's a really good call, but I, so that's why I argue the point. Well, not argue the point, discuss the point because time. You know, we don't all have time, and so to be potentially uh, stick around is, is going to be an interesting one to watch. What do you think? Do you think one of the big causes time in cricket the the fact that you can sit around and watch a batsman and a bowler and that gladiatorial essence go at each other to see who comes out? And I think that's something we can't be lost. But again, I I come back to this one. You know. Test cricket is also a very generational thing. Touchdown, Kansas. Sorry, just had to break in there. <laughs> Short rush. Isaiah Pachko, here we go. <laughs> As someone says, I was watching, I know, I've just, I've just segued right out of the Test cricket thing for the moment. But I think this uh, this this Chiefs game, and I think also the, the, the 49ers, the Lions game is going to go back to back to back. You know, they're going to go end to end. Is time important to you? Do you like Test cricket because of that gladiatorial part of it, or is it just too long? Four days. Interesting. He said, "Cricket New Zealand, New Zealand cricket NZC only sells first four days." Well, right now, four days is perfect. Should Test cricket? Here's the big question. I want to know why you think Test cricket should be four days. Don't give me the obvious answer. Is there a reason why you think Test cricket? Should only be four days. Anyway, the real talking point 
of the weekend is young Sharma Joseph. What a spell. Uh, a seven for. Seven for 68. Helps the West Indies win this test on Australian soil for the West Indies for the first time by eight runs. And that was after he'd copped a, an in-swinging Yorker on his big toe from Mitchell Stark late on day three. And he had, so there were suggestions he might not even get back out on the deck at the Gabba. But he was a winner-winner chicken dinner. Shamar Joseph, he's actually getting a photo at the moment with Ian Bishop. Ian Bishop's down here, Brian Lara, Carl Hooper. I think there's a few tears with some of the legends of West Indian cricket. And Shamar Joseph is coming over. I'm only going to ask one question because Barat, it's his man. But Shamar, you said it wasn't done until it was done. You weren't going to get the ball out of your hands until it's done. It is now done. And you're being told that you are a superstar of West Indian cricket. How does that sound? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, um, just to believe in, keep believing in yourself, having that confidence in yourself and what the team have in you also. So, you know, I just back myself. I told the captain earlier, but I said I'm not stop bowling until the last wicket fall. Even though I was going through a lot of pain. So I just stick to the basics and it worked so well for us. Shama, when I came and came to interview you, you were sitting with that cricket ball in your hand and he said you sleep with the cricket ball, you always have a cricket ball in your hand and today nobody was taking that ball away from your hand. No, at all, you know, because um, I know what, I, what I'm capable of and I know what the team requires of me, so I just stick to the basics, it's just the basics that work for me and it was amazing out there, every day there were pain, you know, joy, there was mixed emotions, so I'm really, I'm really happy at this point, I can't explain how happy I am, you know, uh, it's been like 30 years or more, or maybe less that we have actually beat Australia in Australia. So, you know, it's amazing that, you know, my first test match in community, my second one, that we're able to beat them as a unit. And I'm really happy. Can you just talk us through your spell? I mean, you bowl non-stop, but in between overs, you were limping. Like, you were struggling to walk, but you, every time you had the ball in your hand, you just get kept getting quicker and quicker with yeah, each other. Because over. I wasn't thinking about it too much, to be fair. Yeah, because if you think about the pain, there your focus would definitely be up. All I was thinking about, just to get this wicket over with and win this test match for my team. So, you know, uh, it, encouragement from the team, Azari was there with me, told me, don't, just don't think about the pain. Uh, I mean, he cannot tell how the pain is, but, you know, <laughs> I just take his words of encouragement and I stood out. And I did it for my team. Barakala, what's happening in Barakala? Let us know. Come on. Oh, no, it's a lot going on up there. I, 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 I cannot see them at this point, but I know what's going on up there in Barakala. The joy and the happiness, you know, and there's tears actually be falling up there. So, you know, I just want to give a shout out to them and say how happy I am for the support that they give out here for me throughout my test series. Shama, four years ago, you discovered the internet. You start watching clips of... Courtney Walsh and Curtly Ambrose. And here, here you are at the gala. Ian Bishop's taking a selfie with you. Brian Lara's taking a selfie with you. Can you just explain what's happening <laughs> yeah, there? Yeah, those are stars. You know, I, I think they're really happy that they know there are still, there are a lot of um, youngsters that come out from the West Indies scene that could still make them proud and carry on the legacy um, for West Indies cricket. So, you know, I'm actually happy that they could actually be here to witness a life that, you know, there are still well, um, young cricketers out there that could still do it for the West Indies scene. So, you know, and the, the, what they left there, that we were able to continue and do it for them. And most importantly, your son can get his bat now that he can play with, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'll be heading um, to Dubai, actually. I'll be heading to Dubai, um, according to how I feel. But, you know, I just want to, you know, shout out to my, my big son that his daddy's here. And I'm glad that I did it. And um, he will get his bat soon. I'll be home very soon and he'll get his bat. You're a superstar. Thank you so much. Cheers, man. Thanks.
the new star of West Indian cricket, Sharma Joseph, with a 7-for-68 bag in the second test at the Gabba. Amazing. But when you hear them talk about Courtney Walsh, Kurt Ambrose, yeah, the West Indian quicks are back. It's so cool. you got to know when the hold Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when the walk Oh, it's, it's going to be an easy one today. 9.52 with Stephen and Finn, because we are... Simple people, yeah, brought to you by the TAB. Download the TAB app today. I jumped a little early. I apologise for that. We've gone really simple. We're a head-to-head sort of uh, duo. Uh, so in League One, Paris Saint-Germain versus Brest. We've gone for Paris Saint-Germain at $1.33. Uh, of course, Finn being uh, Mr. Basketball, he's gone for the Phoenix Suns against the Orlando Magic. The Suns are playing 185. And I've actually gone for the upset. Detroit Lions of the 49ers at 360. I'll take that full stop. And that's Smithy's Multi this morning brought to you by the TAB app. Remember to download the TAB app today. 9.58, the Kansas City Chiefs in charge at the moment, but it's early in the AFC Championship game. 14-7, they lead the Baltimore Ravens. Yep, it's going to be good. Mahomes versus Jackson. Lamar, they're saying the MVP. Well, I don't know about that. I was watching the the build-up to the 49ers-Lions game and, uh, they reckon Brock Purdy first and everything. Purdy, Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant. And I've gone against him. <laughs> I've gone against him, Finn. Who knows? Detroit Lions, Jared Groff. And that Detroit Motor City getting something they've been waiting for for such a long, long time. That would be pretty cool. Coming your way after 10 o'clock this morning on Mornings with Smithy, we're going to talk to Radio New Zealand commentator and journo Ben Strang about this cricketing weekend. How about that, that women's super smash? Uh, four, young girl Beard, four for five, and they still lose. She took four for five, for goodness sake. Uh, we'll just remind you how Yannick Sinner won his first Australian Open title, and then we'll bring in Justin Nelson, uh, former sales NBL GM and NBL commentator, and uh, the Bulletin to talk about the sales NBL offseason and also the Breakers, a one-on-one weekend. Has it hurt their playoff chances? Well, you will find out from a man that knows all about his ball. He's a baller. Stick around right here on SCNZ with Stephen and Finn. He's got to find a way to support Steve Smith here. Yes, the West Indies do something no one thought they could do. They beat Australia in Australia for the first time in 27 years on the back of a, a youngster called Shamir Joseph, who took uh, was a 7 for 60 out of 7 for uh, Smithy, which are who I'm sitting in for, getting excited as always and giving us a brilliant commentary. And the West Indian legend Brian Lara, what a moment that must have been for him. Ben Strang joins us right now from Radio New Zealand News and also one of our cricket commentators here on SNZ. And uh, a moment you might like to remember too. Oh, an unbelievable moment. It's just incredible. The, I mean, 
we've heard a lot about Shamoa Joseph in the last few weeks since he made that test debut at Adelaide, took a five for, that seemed like the dream debut for Shamar Joseph. Uh, you know, debuted in first-class cricket less than a year ago. February 1st, he made his debut. Uh, Guyana versus Barbados uh, less than a year ago is, is astonishing. Before that, he was a security guard. Uh, he was plucked out of a, a tiny village, seen bowling in this village, and, and all of a sudden, um, you know, thrust into, into professional cricket. And less than a year on, he's taking seven wickets in the fourth innings to defeat Australia in Australia. Absolutely remarkable! What a what a story that is well, for him, and to do it with a you know the, the the off stump just tumbling out of the ground and then charging off around the boundary. Um, you're not going to see a better cricketing moment this year, I wouldn't think. Well, I think, too, it's an important thing for Test cricket that we have that entertainment value of what you just described about the celebration. But also, uh, when in his post-match interview, Ben, you would have heard he talked about you know watching videos of Courtney Walsh and, and the like, and you go, yeah, bring back the, Indian, uh, the West Indian quicks because we, we need West, the West Indies stronger than they have been. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it would be wonderful if the West Indies... Uh, have resurgence. I, I I don't see it happening because you know they, they've got their own uh, issues. They, they're in financial turmoil. Uh, all the players are wanting to go and play in the 2020 leagues because uh, that's where they can actually earn some money. Uh, they've had problems getting paid at all playing Test cricket for the West Indies. So listen, they're they're in dire straits as a as a um, you know cricket association. But uh, when you have something like this happen, when you've got Brian Lara in the commentary box in tears, jumping up and down as as that final wicket is taken, um, you know th- it's it's clear that the the meaning and the feeling of winning a Test match like this is is unlike any other feeling that these players can have in cricket. To to have Shamar Joseph, you know, it sounds like he's broken his toe. He didn't think he was going to be able able to play yesterday and yet he comes out he's bowling 150k thunderbolts and <laughs> and steers them home that is uh that's amazing and i loved also how he said afterwards you know yes i might get offered a bunch of money to play in 2020 leagues but if there's a test somewhere where the west indies are playing that's where i'll be that's that's exactly what you want to hear from some of these cricketers around the world where do you see t- Test cricket going? I've asked the question on 0800 150 do we, do we see the ICC going, well, they're not lasting five, we, do, we go to four and, and, and evolve as the, the generational change of viewers on television changes with it? What do you want to see? What I want to see is it strengthened, but I don't see that happening. Um, unfortunately, all the money in cricket is, as I say, in the 2020 leagues. So I think that's um, that's obvious. Uh, with with South Africa's new 2020 league, with with the United Arab Emirates having a, a fairly new 2020 league, Major League Cricket in the United States uh, apparently uh, was was really um, enjoyable for the players last year as well, and and has the funding of the IPL behind it. Uh, I only see cricket going one way, and that's to a, a fairly well-structured 2020 league sort of season where players can go wherever you know the money is. And in future, what I think will happen is there will be windows, you know, a, a lot like in international football, where some of these test matches can be played. Um, I think there will still be series where. You know, nations play with each, uh, you know, play against each other. But the the top top players, I can can see increasingly 
not being available for those internationals, that they will be playing in the 2020 leagues. That's where the money is. And then coming together, coming together for, for world tournaments, so World Cups. And that will be in... You know, I don't see one day as going anywhere as far as the World Cup. Uh, I see the 2020 World Cups will just continue. They, they, they love that they're happening every two years, so that's just going to continue. But I do think that one day international cricket may end up being relegated to just World Cups uh, in future. And test cricket, I think, will be played... Uh, a lot more really uh, and in sort of set international windows, which is a great, you know, a massive shame if, if that is the way it goes. But you can't deny the money that 2020 is bringing in and the support that it's garnering across the globe. I think you're the first person I've heard actually admit that, that Test cricket is on the... And are you saying it's on the decline as far as the amount of... Not test- as a product. Not as a product, but as in terms of, I mean... <sighs> If you if you go back, um, you know I don't know how long, but New Zealand used to have more than two match series. You know when was the last time New Zealand had a three match series? I, I, you know I haven't researched that before talking to you, but it was mm, a long time okay. ago. It hasn't happened for a long time. But um, but you know so so places like New Zealand are only having two match series. The West Indies have gone to Australia. They've only got a two match series because they're seen as minnows. And um, as much as it would be fantastic to have a deciding match now, given that the this young West Indian team has performed so well. That doesn't happen. Um, the World Test Championship was meant to revitalise and, and keep Test cricket going. And in some ways, I think it has, because there have been some terrific Test matches in the past few years. Even here in New Zealand, the, the match last year, one of Helberg's, one of the Helberg's sporting moments of the year um, people are voting on is that uh, one-run win against England at the Basin Reserve. I, you know, Watching that one in the office here at RNZ, there was a dozen people huddled around the TV watching the end of a test match. That, that's, that's fantastic for, for cricket. But again, uh, all the money is elsewhere. That, you know, New Zealand cricket took a loss on that game. From, from what I've seen, they, they lose over... You know, I think a six-figure sum for every test match they host. That's that's not sustainable for teams. So, twenty um, twenties on the other hand, bring in a lot of money. Uh, that has to be where everything will go. Unfortunately, you just got to follow the money. How old are you? I am thirty-three. Okay, so so is, do do you sense that the ICC, which is basically run by the BCCI, uh, have have recognised that the generational viewing change simply wants T Twenty? And it's purely driven by that, and knowing that they can re- get billions of dollars on on the short form and the amount of betting that goes on it. Y- yes and no. I think younger people don't have the attention spans that they pro- possibly used to. Um, it's a fu- it's funny because I'm trying to think about. It's very easy to sit down and watch a a three-hour 2020 match, which unfortunately they're probably stretching to more like four hours with overrates these days. But um, it, it's pretty easy to sit down and watch one of those. A, a full day watching a one-day, people are less likely to do. Um, but sitting down and being patient and watching a full test match uh, is just not something that, that people are doing as much these days. There's a lot of external factors with that as well. Um, I, I think younger people are energised by 2020. I think there's... You know, you'll get a lot of older voices saying, oh, you know, you know grumbling yeah. about 2020 cricket. It's not proper cricket. It's, you know, yeah. all this sort of stuff. But it's exciting. People like watching. My my wife doesn't want to watch a test match, would never want to watch a test match. But if I asked her if she wanted to go and watch a 2020, 
um, she'd be stoked to to go and watch that. Every time I play cricket, she wants to know how many sixes I've hit. <laughs> Hopefully, I've hit some because otherwise, she's not impressed. But, wow. Um, okay, but, I that, think but that's the way that, that things are going. You know, people want to see that action. They want to see these incredible diving catches. They want to see um, sixes being hit, big big shots. That's what twenty twenty is. And and that's the and that's the bane for purists. They don't they don't like that. They don't like the the sl- the slog fest. And yet we're going. How good right. How good's this? How good's this? Yeah, you know? and I think I think there's a place for both of them. And and I think there's you know it is an unfortunate situation that Test cricket is going to go by the wayside because as I say, in the last few years since they created the World Test Championship, which has been really good, I think for um, for keeping the game uh, interesting. Yes. We've had some fantastic results because teams are pushing for victory. They're not just playing for a draw because there's something on the line. They want to make the World Test Championship final. So if you get that win, especially away from home, that's fantastic. And it it makes for close finishes and it makes for exciting cricket. Um, It's just if if they can get bums on seats, um, then that would be fantastic. Obviously, we've got a, a packed house at the Basin Reserve for the Australia game. Uh, I see Hagley Oval is heading the same way for Australia. Uh, but unfortunately, South Africa is sending a B team, so I don't think we're going to expect the same for the South African series. It's these issues that I think are, are, are the key factor, not so much the excitement for young people, but can they actually fill these stadiums and can they make money out of Test cricket? Do you sense, even though the South Africans are, are sending a team that they will justify by saying that that's who we've got, so that's who we're sending, can do something that the West Indians have done to Australia? <laughs> that's funny because I've been thinking about this for the past few weeks is um, yes it's like a B or a C team for South Africa with a, with a ton of debutants including a captain who's a debutant but if you look at their stats in first class cricket they're pretty good cricketers and if you think back uh, just a few years there was a young man called Devin Pongway who couldn't get anywhere in the South African team comes to New Zealand and is now seen as you know one of probably one of the top five batsmen across uh, batsmen across all formats in, in the game. Couldn't get a game for South Africa because of the way that the quota system works over there and all that sort of stuff. So there is a lot of talent in South Africa. A lot of it floods to the UK. A lot of it floods to other countries. So I would be a little bit wary about writing them off. Uh, they will have a heck of a lot of talent there who have just been looking for the chance to prove themselves. So. Uh, yeah, a bit scary, actually, if you, if you ask me. Well, easy narrative to jump on, right? Easy narrative makes makes for good writing. You'd, you'd, you'd probably have jumped on the narrative as well, right, as a journalist? Oh, oh absolutely, yeah. All righty, let's, let's talk about the uh, the Baz Ball. Was it a Baz Ball win in Hyderabad, a surprise on the on the back of Pope's 196? Um, it, it was, uh, it, yes, yeah, it was a, a very impressive. I was just looking at a, um, a, a tweet before from somebody who was lamenting um, Basball. I, I can't remember who it was and I don't have it up right now. But yeah, lamenting the fact that Basball was ruining the, ruining the game and that England were performing so poorly. You know, obviously they scored 246 in the first innings. Uh, India came back with 436, a very handsome lead. But Ollie Pope, uh, with a, a terrific innings of 196, 21 fours in that, no sixes. So uh, maybe that's disappointing for the baseball followers <laughs> out there. But for them to then go and get 420, um, you know, fourth. When you're bowling in the fourth innings in, in India, uh, you've always got a chance because your spinners can regularly come into the game and restrict a team. And for Tom Hartley to take seven for 62, another seven for mm. in a match-winning effort. I mean. It again highlights how good 
test cricket has been over the last few years that you've got these back-to-back games with thrilling finishes, people taking seven fizz in the final innings. Um, yeah, fantastic. And, and great for England because they're, they're playing test cricket the right way. They're playing it aggressively. They're going for victories. Uh, and, and other teams are not necessarily playing as aggressively, but I think they're doing the same thing. Everyone wants to win these games now. People don't want to bat out for draws. They want to go and win. Win a win a chicken dinner, I say. That's what it's all about. And and, and, and good, you know. And, and again, it probably a little bit overlooked because the West Indian test was so close to us. I want you to have a listen to this. This is the, uh, I think this is the final ball in the women's Super Smash match. Sophie Devine in. Swing. Misses. Through. They should. They're going to take one by. Wellington just need to break the stumps and they'll win the game. They do. And the Blaze have defended 89 to win the Dream 11 Super Smash for 23-24. Wellington win. It's title number five in seven years. They win it by one run. And that's uh, after losing four for five. How does that work out? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's crazy, right? It was was a crazy game in in that respect. I thought, um, to be brutally honest, at times I thought it was a low-quality game. I think Amelia Kerr... Um, kind of rescued Wellington with her innings of 35 off 35. It was clear that batting was tough, um, dealing with the rain delays. The pitch seemed a little bit slow. Um, but, you know, Rosemary Mayer taking four wickets for five runs in her four overs, including a maiden, is astonishing. She's quick, isn't What's she? She's quick. Yeah, she's relatively quick. Yeah, but, I mean, look at the wickets she took as well. She took Sophie Devine, Amelia Kerr, Georgia Plummer, um, got the one late as well of Kadaya who came in and, uh, and bashed 12 or four balls. Um, that, those are big, big wickets. So that spell, I thought, was obviously worthy of, of winning a 2020 uh, final. But uh, then, you know, the reason I say it was low quality is, you know, T- um, Thames and Newton, 27 or 42 balls not out uh, in the chase. Um, I mean, I... I I suspect that she'll live to, to regret how slowly she batted in that innings. Only one boundary in 42 balls, um, you know, obviously facing that last ball. Like I say, it looked like tough batting conditions. Everyone was struggling, but but that's like, that's a deadly slow innings in, in a 2020 and, um, you know, comes back to bite Central in the end. Um, so not necessarily the highest quality, but the Blaze have been the best team for, for many a year. They've got a very good bowling attack. For them to to restrict Central, on the other hand, is is very impressive. When when you're chasing you know less than ninety, chasing eighty eight and seventeen overs, and uh, and you can't get there, that is that's remarkable, really. Do you like the quality of the Super Smash full stop across both formats, women and men? In general, yes. Um, I, I think that uh, particularly the men's competition, New Zealand's done done a very very good job of unearthing new talent and actually, you know, talent that can perform on a world stage. If you think, you know, Ben Ons come through in the last few years, Mark Chapman, uh, Glenn Phillips, these guys have all, um, you know, earned their stripes in the Super Smash and done really well and then gone on to perform at a, at a higher level. Uh, I think the women's competition is much the same in many respects, but I think there's just less depth that will come with time because, um, you know, it's it's only new you know it's only recently that we're starting to really professionalize the women's game uh so that will come uh, but at the moment there's a I, i'd say there's a big gap between the 
best players in some of these Super Smash uh, women's teams to the the you know players who are fringe in each of these teams. It's a it's a very very large gap, and the men's competition the, the gap isn't quite as large. Yeah, but again, I come back to this. Uh, they use the word narrative. No one's watching them. They're not going to the grounds and really watching them. Does that concern you at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it does. It does actually. Um, I don't know what the answer is to try to, to sell people coming along and, and actually watching. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I often think, you know, the times are tough for people and they can't necessarily afford to do it or they don't have the time to do it. Um, but these are, you know, it's pretty cheap to go to a, a game, you know, go and watch the Firebirds. You're talking about 20 bucks or something to, to go and watch a, a back-to-back with the, the men and the women playing. Um, it, it would be nice if if more people turn out. Um, I think the, you know, what I've been reading about the viewing audiences on, on TV and Z and stuff is promising. They seem to, to be getting a, a good number of viewers on the free-to-wear and I think it's about time that some of the sport is on free-to-wear and you can actually just turn on one or three and watch the game. That's that's fantastic and I'd like to see that more often with, um, you know, things like the Olympics or, or All Blacks games or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, just getting people to actually get their bums on seats seems like a, a real battle, and it would be nice if they were better supported. Yeah, well, you, 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 as you as are rightly aware, money talks when it comes to television, right? It's as simple as that. And the, the crown entity, which is TVNZ, must be squealing a little bit having to pick up that contract from Spark <laughs> as it is. Uh, yeah. Pakistan versus New Zealand Test Series. Uh, call it. Which way? Why? Um, South Africa, you mean? Uh, yeah. Did I say Pakistan? Be... I apologise. Yes, yes. No, you're all right. I'm you're just right. waking up still. Right so South Africa against the Black Caps, New Zealand. <laughs> Which way, Ben? <laughs> you've probably been watching motorsport or something. I have. I, uh, no, uh, I've, been in, I've been um, in Palmerston North a weekend. I've got, I must have a high-octane fuel running through my veins and it's just making me go loopy. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean... <sighs> New Zealand should win this uh, series. I like, I really like the squad that New Zealand has selected. Uh, for the past wee while, I've been talking about how I think it is it. You know, Mitchell Santon has earned his way back into this New Zealand team uh, and and should get the opportunity to play. And he has been selected. They've made the the tough call on Henry Nichols to leave him out of the squad and picked Rach and Ravindra. Um, these are these are not small moves that the selectors have made considering how slow they have been to, to make selection calls in the past. So I think they're, you can see them as kind of bold moves for, for this selection group. And so I think that brings excitement for, for me watching the game to see some of these guys back in action for New Zealand in test cricket or getting a crack. Uh, but they should have too much quality for a South African B or C team. That said, I fully expect the South Africans to put down some really, really good performances here in New Zealand. I would tend towards a 1-0 series win to New Zealand. Oh, well, you heard it here first. Ben Strang, a pleasure. Uh, have a, have a, are you working today or are you getting a day off? Yes, I am working today. I've, I've been up since 5am. I'll, I'll head home soon and, and enjoy the afternoon. Good man. Take it easy. Thanks for your time, as always. Ben Strang from Radio New Zealand uh, News and also one of our SENZ cricket commentators. It's 1025 
10.30, good news if you follow golf. I'm just watching the live pictures coming out of the LPGA Drive-On Championship. Lydia Ko, clear leader now through 17. She's 11 under. Uh, previous leader earlier in the morning, Nellie Corder has dropped back. Uh, she's 9 under through 15. And uh, Megan uh, Kang has just dropped a shot at 15, uh, excuse me, 16. Uh, and uh, she's now eight under. So Lydia Ko with a two-shot lead at the moment with two to play at the LPGA Drive-On Championship in Bradenton, Florida. How good! That would be a nice way to start the Monday and pocket a few more bills. Just throw them away, throw them away. Okay, let's move on. Uh, First major of the year, the Australian Open, all done and dusted, and we have a, a defending champion in the women's uh, draw Ariana uh, Anya Sabalenka successfully defending her Australian Open title 6-3, 6-2 against number 12 seed Zheng Qin Yang. It's all on the racket here of Arena Sabalenka. Can she land one of her big killer serves? Puts it into play. Away from the backhand of Zheng. Half-court ball. Cross-court forehand is a clean winner this time. Sabasational from Arena. She gets it done. Fifth championship point. And she goes back to back in Melbourne. A late charge from Zheng to make it interesting in the final little stanza of a contest that was heavily swayed to one player. And she's becoming her own little dominant force on this court. She can't be beaten for a second year running. And it gets her Grand Slam year off to a sensational start. Can't be beaten on that court. Well, how strong was Arena Sabalenka? She was the first player since Serena Williams, the great one, in 2007 to secure the title without dropping a serve. Did not drop a serve. She's won 28 of her past 29 sets at Melbourne Park, including this year, the, the 2023 run. That is just absolutely bonkers and complete dominance. Well, Djokovic was gone, so it was the question of who was going to win. Uh, Senna or his arch-rover Medvedev? It was Senna. And the Italians are certainly rising in the men's game. They've had some strong women over the years. Great federation who are producing good young players. Uh, they're about to produce a Grand Slam champion. He made the first serve. Medvedev goes backhand cross-court. Sinner backhand cross-court. Medvedev backhand cross-court. Up the line by Sinner. Cross-court forehand. Medvedev up the line by Sinner. And it finishes in style off his forehand. That has been the absolute devastating wing in this tournament. At full stretch, Yannick Sinner. It's the most appropriate shot to make him a Grand Slam champion. Three hours and 44 minutes, a 22-year-old from Northern Italy has done an incredible job to get back into this match and go on and actually win the whole thing. He's calm, he's cool, he's collected. And Darren Cale... The Aussie connection in the center box. Yeah, Aussie connection, Darren Cahill. But, uh, you know, that's I'm trying to think back. Uh, the last person who was a new champion of the Australian Open was 2014, which was Stan Wawrinka. 
Otherwise, it would have been Nadal Djokovic, or even Federer, but I think it was more Nadal Djokovic. <laughs> uh, so when you think about, we're going right back to 2.15 even, when you think about the dominance of those players and to see Djokovic go out in a, in a match that I watched, I was like everyone going, this is not the, the Djokovic that we have seen. It was quite surprising. So the first Italian male to win a major outside of Roland Garros. Just stunning, and 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 what's really cool? We, you know, I think I, I, I use the uh, comparison. Everybody worries when a high-profile All Black goes away, and oh, how are we going to replace them? No, no, we've always got someone. There's always that factory in this country about an All Black. Same thing, I think now with men's tennis. It's just that the likes of Djokovic and Nadal and Federer were so dominant for so long. We've been waiting. So great, Sinner, his first. Major, it's not a Grand Slam, it's a major. Because remember, a Grand Slam is winning four in, in a calendar year. They are majors. I'm just putting it out there, and I've done it before, and I'm not going back on it. 10.35 here on SCNZ Mornings with Smithy, Stephen McIver, and Finn James looking after you. We're going to go uh, favourites now. Favourites for Finn. Basketball with Justin Nelson next. The Bulletin. Yes, good morning. It's SENZ 1041 with Stephen McIver and Finn James and time for the Bulletin Time to talk balling and uh, basketball with Justin Nelson, former sales NBL general manager, who basically is the man that put the NBL, the local NBL on the map during COVID and gave the product to ESPN and now it had opened so many doors for young basketball players and you must be credited for that and say thank you and not be humble. <laughs> Very good morning. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks, mate. Look, it uh, seems a long time ago. Doesn't but, it? Um, yeah, definitely 2020. Uh, put the put the game, as you said, in the league on the map and lots of good things and first ever sports bubble in the world. And we had that draft, of course. And yeah, good times. How do you think the draft worked out? Uh, because, you know, we always talk about drafts and different sports in this country. But from your perspective, it's a it's a natural thing in, in basketball. How was it received once it was finally done? Well, it was actually the draft that ended up luring ESPN um, through through the states, and to this day, ESPN continue to broadcast every Cells NBL game live. So, you know, if you think about what transpired, what happened as a result of that draft, that's obviously the biggest takeaway. But what it did at the time, when the world literally completely stopped, I mean, shut down, mm. certainly in the world of sport, if not other parts of our lives. What it did is it created news, and I think that was something that sports fans in particular attached themselves to, and, and they loved the journey. It's the whole fantasy, the fairy tale about you know 550 people registering for a player draft in New Zealand and uh, 84 picks, of course, and the rest is history. Has it strengthened the local league? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I look at the strength of the league financially now, you know, I quite often uh, joke that uh, the first budget I think I was given when I landed in the country was was less than two hundred thousand dollars to to run the league. You know, that's only five or six years ago. You know, today this league is is worth multi millions of dollars, and the teams are, are uh, increasing their business. Sponsors are, are picking up the phones and and talking to these teams and to the league and. You know, this year alone, with rapidly coming into the cells NBL, it's already there for Toihi, but this year alone, more than 450 hours of live coverage and 289 games 
to be broadcast on on Sky. It's quite remarkable. Let's talk about the uh, movement in the league. Uh, what what's impressing you, and and what what surprise have you seen around the league with signings? Yeah, I think the thing that continues to impress me is the competitive balance. Just the sheer fact that, as a fan or a viewer, you know you can turn up to a game or turn on the television, and you don't know who's going to win. Your team always has a chance, and that's probably been the biggest development for me. And we continue to see that with player signings right now. Uh, for this this year's uh, Sells NBL. Uh, it's a very even spread of, uh, of talent. I think we've got a lot of imports and in particular NBA G League players to be signed and announced in the coming weeks. Last season, there was 15 players out of the NBA G League wow. system here playing in New Zealand. So that's still to come over the next four, four or five weeks. We're going to see a lot more of that. But the Kiwi talent alone that has come back into the competition again uh, for the coming season, quite uh, quite extraordinary, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I did not know until uh, Big Tall Finn, our basketball expert here, told me there's a brand spanking new men's team in the fire out of Tauranga. Yeah, there is. They uh, obviously entered the Toihi Basketball Aotearoa uh, a couple of years ago. They've been in there for a couple of seasons running a pro league women's team, and of course, you know, when that was announced, pay parity for the women, same as the men, and, and, and that's been a huge development for basketball in this country as well. But now they enter the men's competition, uh, so the Fire are running two teams out of Tauranga, and uh, really exciting for that region. It's it's such a strong basketball region, so many good players coming through the system there, and they're going to be able to play elite hoops at the pro league level here in New Zealand. Man, it just it smacks of growth, doesn't it? It smacks of a of a sport that we know is so successful overseas. But gone are the days of the old Rhinic Basketball League where I started my broadcast <laughs> career and suddenly it is it is but it's but for me it is now is such a part of the community and, and probably even a, a bigger community sport than people give it credit for. Well, on a seven-day basis, uh, the consumption of basketball for under thirty fives in New Zealand is number one. That's where it is. It's right up the very, very top for under 35s. And consumption, of course, is is playing, it's it's watching, uh, it's uh, merchandise, it's fantasy, it's gaming, it's wagering, it's all of those things. But to be number one for consumption for under 35s on a weekly basis uh, across the country just tells you where this game is and in particular where it's going. Well, it tells you that the uh, the advertisers love that that uh, demographic and that's why they're jumping on board. Let's talk about the other NBL, but there's the Aussie NBL, the Breakers. Uh, are they? Is their season hanging in the balance after a one-on-one weekend? Oh, there's no doubt it's in the balance. I, I think that should be uh, up in uh, bold letters at the moment. They sit in eighth on the table, of course. They've got a final six in the Aussie NBL. They're 10 wins, 13 losses, five games left. And if you look at last season, and that's always a good indicator, you needed 15 wins to make the top six. So right now, they either need to win all five of, of the games they've got remaining or win four and hopefully for them, someone else slips up. So it's a really tough road home. They've got the Wildcats, the Hawks, Melbourne United, the Bullets and 36ers. Only one of those teams currently sits under them on the ladder. They have the top two teams away. The Wildcats coming up 
and Melbourne United not too far away as well. So yeah, it is. Uh, it's in the balance. When we look at the season, justifiably injuries early in the season have caught them. But now the question I look at when you go and beat the Jack Jumpers have always been a bit of a nemesis, but you do it at the insec and then you go and lose to the Hawks. Consistency. Well, it's the thing I've been banging on about for the last uh, couple of months. Um, well, it feels like almost yeah, the entire season. Only a couple yes, of months. <laughs> injuries. Yep. Injuries, of course. Um, you know, every team cops that, and they've copped their fair share. We know that. But you put that to one side. The coaches don't want to use those things as, as excuses because every team has the ups and downs of injuries. But the thing that has been, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest box yet to be ticked for the breakers this season is consistency. They've been up and down. That's been their Achilles heel. And, you know, basketball, all sports, you know, a season, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you find consistency and get on a run, the rest takes care of itself. But it's something that they haven't been able to do. How important is Anthony Lamb to their, them going forward and making the playoffs? Yeah, huge. I mean, you need your best player. You need your top scorer doing their thing. It's not just, you know, the Aussie NBL or the Sells NBL. We see it in the NBA. You need your best players playing really, really well and the rest of the team making sure that they get the ball to him in the positions that he needs to get the ball. I think for me, though, you know, this next stretch of of five games, do or die, the Breakers really need hard-nosed defence. We know that they've got the capability and the, and the gun players offensively who can score. This is a team that really needs to lock down defensively if they are going to take down teams above them on the ladder and make the finals. But they've got a pretty hard-nosed coach, and defence is what he's always about, always always banged on about, as you would say. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's where the consistency has been missing. Um, you know, from one game to the next, we we see the absolute best, and and then unfortunately there are times when they slip up, but. Make no mistake, if this team gets on a run over the next five, and it feels like I've said that a few times already this season, but if they do get on a run, definitely the teams above them on the ladder are looking over their shoulder. Uh, The loss to the Hawks um, really sets them back, and they can ill afford to drop any of their remaining five games. Uh, Mantas Rubstavisius, how good is this kid? Yeah, good. I mean, we've seen it, haven't we, across... This competition with a number of kids, you know, Lamelo Ball being one of the very best that has come out of this system, and you know, it's a league that takes on this uh, exciting young talent, and that is the key, young talent, and uh, and they put them in a in a grown man's league and give them an opportunity to show the world what they can do, and and uh, you know, this young guy is no different. He's got NBA potential, and uh, it'll be interesting to see his uh, his journey from here. But who wins? Who wins? The whole shebang. Well, I think Melbourne United are definitely the best team on on paper. Uh, They ooze class both on the court and and also the depth coming off the bench. I don't think you can write the Wildcats off. You know, early in the season, everybody wanted the coach, John, really to be sacked. All of a sudden, they've turned it around. They're second on the ladder. We know that they're a formidable team, usually at home. They have slipped up a couple of times this season, but usually formidable. For me, they are first and second on the ladder at this time of the season for a reason, and they're the two teams to beat. What other sports do you watch, or are you totally consumed by basketball? It's, it's actually a really good question. Most people would tend to think that basketball's uh, my most favoured sport, but uh, it probably sits third on the list. Oh. Uh, motorsport and AFL, for me, are the two sports that I'm passionately uh, into as a fan. Uh, basketball, yes, as a fan, and takes up a lot of time from a working perspective, but love motorsport across the world. 
uh, have worked in it previously. And look, you know a lot about motorsport as well, obviously, and it's just one of those sports that uh, the fumes get to you when you're in. <laughs> uh, it's certainly on a high and uh, like all forms, no matter how many wheels, and uh, follow that passionately. But I'm one of the uh, the few living in New Zealand that can't get enough of the AFL. It's it's my background in Melbourne. It's um, growing up, it's in the blood, part of the family, and uh, big Sydney Swans fan and, and can't get enough of it. Wow. Okay. I, I I always I I don't really watch it that much, but I will, I will always watch the grand the grand final and, and discovered one thing very quickly: win the third quarter, championships yours. Simple as that. No matter <laughs> no matter where you've come from, that third quarter, the old third quarter stretch sort of thing, you know. Well, there you go. You're an AFL fan uh, through and through already. <laughs> the championship quarter, we call it back home. That's right. Sorry, the championship quarter, my my friend. All right, uh, Justin Nelson, as always, a pleasure. Have a lovely Monday, mate. Hey, cheers, you too. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Justin Nelson, former commissioner of the uh, Sales NBL and in, a current NBL commentator. Great commentator, but also a good bloke. But he was the man uh, that put the local NBL on the map. And you heard him say it. Uh, ESPN take it now and they take the draft, the whole nine yards. And that's no small feat. And that's why in uh, the NBL and basketball continues to explode, not just at a, a normal level, but at school level as well. So uh, that was I was sta- staggered by one thing there, Finn, what he said, that, you know, uh, the number one sport viewed uh, under 35s because that's a huge commercial market. I'm not even surprised that that's the right stat in New Zealand, to be honest. I'm really not. <laughs> well, and, I'll, and I'll tell and you why. You're under 35. And I'll so. tell you why. And I'll tell you why. Why? It's be- why? It's because the NBA is a global game. And there is games on every single day in the season. Yeah, eighty-two games uh, for every team. There's a game on every season, and they're on at the peak time hey, for hey, New Zealand. You're getting all you're getting all flushed and all. You're getting. I'm excited. I'm excited. passionate about it, Stephen. <laughs> oh, push the button. It's ten fifty-two. <laughs> 10.57 with Stephen McIver just before 11 o'clock. Uh, Nelly Corder has uh, now only one shot behind Lydia Ko, who has completed her round, signed her card at the LPG Drive-On Championship in Bradenton, Florida. And Corder is about to take her second shot to put a chance for Birdie and push this thing to playoff. Uh, second shot, it's, uh, oh, here we go. I wouldn't have a clue. Struck it. Oh, they swing a club so beautifully. Let's see where it lands up, where the pin. Where is it? Oh, it's rolling, rolling. Oh, my gosh. That is like a foot away from the pin. This thing's going to play off. How good is that? <laughs> so it looks like that'll be a birdie for Nelly Corder, and this one, the final round, is going to play off, and they'll both end with 11 out of If she missed from there, my goodness, she, that'll be something she would never forget. So looks like playoff in the LPGA Drive-On Championship, the second tournament of the year. Just a quick note, if Lydia Ko were to win that, she'd be the first player on the LPGTA Tour, that's a LPGA Tour, Stephen, uh, since 2010, since 2010, to win the first two events. So we shall wait and see what happens, and we will let you know right here on the home of sport, which of course is SENZ. 17-7, Kansas City over Baltimore in the AFC Championship game. They look strong, too strong. They're all over Lamar Jackson, potential MVP. Well, we'll find out about that, won't we? Uh, coming your way after 11 o'clock this morning, going to talk to a young Porsche driver out of the uh, Hawke's Bay, called Clay Osborne, driving an older Porsche, actually beat up on a couple of very, very brand new uh, Mercedes GT2 cars with about 200, 300 more horsepower than his car, cleaned them up. 
and one of the races, two of the races at the weekend. So talk to him and uh, check out also the live odds going on with the NFL as well. And then uh, Finney and I will look, look at the sports decks as well. And your calls and texts 0800 150811 or the Timber Bird Post text machine on 8833 right here on SCNZ. Monday morning, January 24 at 11.04 with Stephen McIver and Finn and mornings with Smithy. That takes me back to 1979 when that came out. That became the number one single in New Zealand for a long, long time. The Knack, My Sharona. I actually don't even think our next guest was even born because he's only about 18, 19. Clay Osborne joins us at a wonderful weekend in the Somerset GT Championship in his older Porsche beating newer Mercedes. Hey, Clay, thanks for joining us. Hey Stephen, no problem. Yeah, it was a um, it was a good weekend. Obviously, racing those Mercedes in that last race on Saturday, it was a uh, it was certainly a new challenge for me. But we um, we managed to do it. Yeah, no, it was a good weekend. It seems to be at the moment, and maybe over the last twelve months, everything you're doing is is coming into play. Let's just take a step back. You were racing the eighty sixes, and and we're very unlucky in many ways to lose out to Brock Gilchrist because it was so exciting. The fact that that was so competitive last year, did that sort of give you more confidence to take on bigger challenges? Uh, yeah, you know, it certainly helped me a lot with my um, with my race craft and, and just general racing and stuff like that, giving me a lot more confidence coming into the Australia at the end of last year. Then obviously racing Bathurst and the Bend at the end of last year helped helped with my confidence a lot coming into 2024 season and yeah I think all the practicing and stuff that I've been doing is paying off for the racing in New Zealand. Yeah I know you've got to you've got to keep practicing Clay I understand that I just want to hang for a moment on the 86s for for young women and young men who want to have a real crack and it's it's pretty affordable to run the 86s what did that teach you about the craft of race driving? Um, obviously, everyone's the same horsepower, the same weight, the same everything, so you can't really get a more closer field in New Zealand. And it's obviously very, very affordable for, like, Dad and Dave to go racing in it. And, you know, it, it taught me a lot of things about racing, and it's certainly going to teach me a lot of things or taught me a lot of things for the near future. You were a world champion carter back in 2019. Did you th- know then that this was where you wanted to be, or was it always something that you wanted to do? I always kind of had a love for karting, like that was my passion and then one day I got the opportunity to drive in Formula Ford and then from there it's just growing on and on and then obviously racing two seasons of the 86s which I really, really enjoyed and then yeah, racing Porsche this year, it's, it's all coming together pretty well. Do you think you're a natural? That's a hard one but um, <laughs> I, I think so, yeah, I think, I think I've got the natural feel which is what you need as a race car driver but we'll, we'll see in the future if 
natural or not, I guess. Yeah, nice, nice fence-sitting answer. But I suppose when you, yeah. when you, but you mentioned the word feel, and I've always a lot of you, you guys now use the sim so much, but you don't really get the feel of the car under your bum, do you? No, certainly not. Like when you're driving, actually in the seat, you can feel what every component of the car is doing. We're on the simulator; you can only kind of feel it through your wrists what the car is doing. So it's certainly different driving a sim to a race car, but it's it's the closest thing you will get to driving a race car, which is which is still good to learn the tracks and yeah, and stuff like that. yeah, to understand the tracks. But once you get there, you probably don't feel the bumps, the grinds, the the little nuances yeah, exactly of that. Right. I mean, where does the sim help you? Uh, probably just the tracks that I haven't been to, like for example, Australia, Phillip Island. I um I haven't driven there, obviously. And I'll be one of the only people who haven't driven there. So just getting that that sim experience, just to know my left and right, certainly will give me that step forwards towards the start of the season. Now you had you were pretty strong. It was the Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge you jumped into at the end of last year. Uh, you're going back and doing it again this year fully, though, aren't you? Uh, yes, I am. Obviously, I um raced the. Last two years, last year, oh, last two races last year, like you just said, finishing sixth and then eighth. I think that gave me a good jump start too, coming into the 2024 season, knowing what to expect and already knowing those two tracks, which which I think is a huge advantage. McElroy Racing, is that who you will race for again? Uh, yes, yeah, they're a good team. They're based out of the Gold Coast and yeah, they've taught me a lot of things and got me out of a lot of bad habits, which is which is exactly what I needed coming into the season this year. And, yeah, no, they're good. What were the bad habits, Clay? Uh, just untidy data, like breaking, throttle chasing, stuff like that. But we've cleaned a lot of that up now, so it'll, um, it'll be good, yeah. Do you, do you like – I was watching some in-car footage of you yesterday racing, and I was just watching how comfortable you look in the car – uh, would, you, would do you prefer the paddle shifters? I mean, I know they don't they don't offer the the stick shift anymore in Porsches, but does it make it easier to drive the car with a paddle shifter? Uh, yeah, obviously, because you don't have to worry about changing the the gears or blipping on the downshift. So it certainly makes it a lot more comfortable, and you're certainly a lot more relaxed and a lot more in a rhythm when you're driving because it um yeah it's just a lot nicer rather than when you're driving in '86 and you got a blip on the downshift, use your clutch and stuff like that. So, it's a bit more hustling, but yeah, it's good. The Porsche you are driving right now in the Somerset GT Championship, how old is that? Um, I think it is 2018. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's coming up five years old, but it hasn't done many kilometres. It's a fairly new Porsche, but it's just, it's just a bit older, yeah. So how much horsepower were you giving away to those brand new GT2 AMG Mercedes? I think it was about 215, I think, between me and them to the wheels, I think it was. I'm not 100%, but I think it was around that 200 mark. So how the hell did you beat them? Oh, they certainly lacked a lot of speed through the corners. Like I, I think they run in a lot different tyre to what I was, and then it was, um, it was certainly a challenge trying to trying to race them around the track because obviously after a corner there, it's such a big, long straight. So as soon as I'd get a good run on them or past them, then I'd just go around the outside. But I, um, I managed to get past one of them through the insert of the section of the track where I was actually quite fast and yeah, I built that little bit of a gap and then yeah, I just managed to chip away at it and build that bigger gap over time. Did it actually surprise you once you got in front that they actually couldn't really, well in the end, couldn't hunt you down? Yeah, no, it was certainly good. I think my tyres lasted a lot nicer than theirs did over the over the duration of the race. But, um, yeah, certainly nerve-wracking seeing in my mirror a car coming up 50 kilometres quicker than, 
than what I was doing, yeah. What sort of life is it? I mean, you're going to be, this is the deal now, right? Professional race car driver. You're coming up 19 or are you 19? I'm coming up 19. I turned 19 in June. Do you sometimes pinch yourself and go, well, it's not so bad. I'm pretty lucky. I'm a good driver. We get sponsors. Uh, what what does that feel like as a, a young 18-year-old at the moment? Uh, you know, it's certainly, a, um, it's certainly a good lifestyle at the moment, travelling back and forth from New Zealand and, and trying to make a career out of racing. I, um, I hope one day that I can be a paid driver, but yeah, we'll, we'll keep chipping away at it and see where we end up. I've always asked this question of young men. Do, do you miss out on the social side of things? Do you, do you, what are your sacrifices? Um, obviously, hanging out with your friends because most weekends you're off racing or practicing or something like that. So yeah, you've got to kind of sacrifice that, but you, you realise who your friends really are and who your friends really aren't, I guess, out of, out of the whole thing. So no, that's good. And it keeps me out of keeps me out of doing other stuff. So yeah, that's good. What, what other stuff would you be doing? Oh, just like partying on the weekend and stuff like that. You know, it's a it's a good interest, and it keeps me away from all of that stuff. So no, it's, it's good. And the support of mum and dad must be important. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be where I am now without them. Though, but I'm they're as passionate about it as I am. So yeah, no, it's, it's good. They enjoy it as much as I do as well, which is which is the main thing. And, and yet, it's. I wouldn't be here without them. So after this weekend, which was round two of the Somerset GT Championship, where do you see you finishing overall as the season progresses? Um, I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to continue doing the series or not, just because of the, my clashing with Australia. But the first two um, first two rounds certainly helped me out a lot with with my racing craft and and just general track time, which which I think was the main purpose of us doing those first two rounds. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, mate, I appreciate your time as always. Be safe and uh, look forward to the next round, pal. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Yeah, you too, man. That's Clay Osborne, young boy out of Morrinsville. Uh, very, very talented driver. And he was up against uh, cars and some very cool cars too. There's uh, Somerset GT Championship has uh, a lot of brand new 992 Porsches. I'm not going to go into it because I'm technically a bit of a thickhead when it comes to that sort of thing. But uh, watching those Porsches run around is, is incredibly good. In fact, uh, they made a little bit of a mockery of the uh, GT2 cars, which again, have a lot more horsepower but it's uh, the Manfield track which I'm actually watching on Sky Sport 5 at the moment is is one of those tracks which is uh, technical through the middle but then they've got literally three long straights where power comes into play but uh, he was able to he was able to manhandle it it was a pretty impressive watch to say the least so his name is Clay Osborne keep your eye on him he'll be in the Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge which was won by our very own Marco Giltrap last year who's now racing in, uh, up in in Portugal at the moment and some uh, Porsche th- event. So uh, the one thing that really did, uh, fun, you may or may not have any interest in this at all, but we were running a, a video sequence over the weekend of what uh, the drivers and the history of the the Toyota Racing Series, as it was then known, right, the Open Wheel Series where you have the New Zealand Grand Prix and the 68th edition of it will be uh, at Highlands Park in Cromwell uh, this year. It's about three weeks away, right? But you looked through at all the uh, amazing history of who has been here in this racing series over what eighteen or so years it's been going, and it's fascinating. You know, we we always talk about Lando Norris, Formula One driver, Yuki Tsunoda, Formula One driver, Daniel Kvyat, Formula f- former. Formula One driver, Alex Lynn, and then you look at all the New Zealanders going through. Uh, Nick Cassidy, who won Formula E at the weekend. That's what I like, Formula E. Shits we get. But he's now leading the leading the Formula E championship.
and, and he is a multiple winner of the series and a Grand Prix winner, uh, Mitch Evans, and uh, names like that. And you suddenly discover that this little country of ours has an amazing legacy of now superstars in their own right on on the on the scene. It's 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 pretty incredible. I was sitting back going, "Oh my gosh, that is blowing me away." The number of people that have come down here. So would you say that New Zealand is a very good breeding ground for <laughs> young racers, some could say? Wow, big question. Answer, yeah, it is. And, 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 and why, though? Why? Well, that, and that's a really good question. Oh, I use that line. That's a really good question. And I, I think sometimes it's because New Zealanders have never had the ability to have a lot of money around uh, to get to positions whereby they can improve quickly. So they, it's the old, well, just dig in, learn the craft. And there have been so many older races here that have shared their knowledge. And, and the one thing you do discover very quickly is people sharing their knowledge happily around pit lane with young drivers and old. I met a guy, uh, and I'd known the name, but hadn't, didn't really understand it until I looked him up. It was a guy called Martin Donnelly, who raced Formula 3 and F1. It was almost killed in a, in a racetrack, uh, in a Formula 1 race, where literally his car was cut in half. And you see him, there's a picture online of him um, having rolled over and literally just in a fetal position uh, on, on the ground, right? And he's just, he's my age, and he's, he's, and still walks from a limp for that. Someone said the reason he didn't lose his legs was because of how they treated him once they got him on, off the track sort of thing. It was, it was one of those weird ones. I can't honestly explain it, but, and I was talking to him about, because he's now just popped up training some of these young racers. He's a formula, former driver, lucky to be alive, and offering his his IP, his intellectual uh, property to the. And it's it's a really cool thing. There are so many stories up and down pit lane, and and you are so right. Uh, New Zealand, uh, New Zealand has an amazing. When you think about it, we're going to a new IndyCar season, right? Uh, Scott Dixon. He's been doing it since Adam was a cowboy, six-time six time champion, yet never gets the credit he deserves in the wider sporting atmosphere in this country. Oh, it's, that's motor racing, you know. That's not, And you look at the his dedication to his craft, like he's, no, he's 40, right? And he is still as quick as all these new kids coming along because one thing that Scott Dixon does, which is just fascinating, physical beast, and and that's what they call him the Iceman for one reason because his dedication to his craft, his his ability to concentrate and focus, his metal trap. You know how they talk about a mind being a metal trap. He's got one of those, and will contend again. And now we've got uh, Scott Dixon, uh, Scott McLaughlin, excuse me, who is now one of the favourites after only three years in the game, having never driven open wheel racing. Now one of the favourites to win the IndyCar Championship there. This year, and then there's a third Kiwi racing this year, and Marco uh, Marcus Armstrong, who's joining the Ganassi team where Armstrong plays. You know, he was had an up and down season and or years in Europe, F two F three, but even he was the first to admit that 
In Europe, it's a different psyche. It's, a, it's, it's literally dog eat dog, and you need millions to run in some of the even lowest levels. Did you know so that, that these professional karting teams have similar transporters sometimes to, to uh, F1? You know, the, the well, like mu- go-kart people, go-kart, go-kart races. Go, you mean go-kart, go-kart people? Go-kart yeah. people, go-kart, go-kart races. Go-kart, just say go-kart. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It is, it is phenomenal the amount of money that factory teams put in to produce that next F1 driver from a go-kart situation. It is you're going really though. Yeah. Does it does it actually translate like yeah, go-karting yeah. to oh, real driving? Com- well, completely because uh, the, 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 they are they literally you turn them on a dime, right? Right. But and they and it probably more so creates the ability to handle a, a smaller vehicle really quick at high speed and that translates but more so the competitive angle. Like again, that they in Europe, each you each you know, smile, smile at you in the front of your face, run you over behind. That's that sort of thing. It's it's quite a, it's it's a really interesting story. But we we have a, I'm going to use it. New Zealand bats above its weight with the influence it has on track and also off track, uh, and it's it's fascinating. So anyway, if you've got any thoughts like that, do you actually do any go karting racing? Give me a call. 0800-150-811. That's 0800-150-811. On the Timber Bedpost text line, good old Brian's just popped up and said, hey, the problem is about cricket and test cricket, there's just too much on. It's the stage where results are not as highly sought of because there's another game in a short space of time. It's a complete overload. So that, that, that's, that's, that's the psychological angle, right? People don't really care. Uh, uh, do you care about it? Because next minute, blink, it's on. Because we asked the question, do, what do we think the future of Test cricket would be? And we had Ben Strang, who was fantastic. First person, first person I've ever heard say, maybe would, it will be relegated. He didn't say it was on the decline. Remember, he didn't say it was on the decline. He just said, I think Test cricket will be relegated to a, a window, a bit like a rugby test window. I think he's the first person, honestly, I've heard, in, the, in that space to say something. I like Ben's thinking with that as well because maybe it'll give the game of test more of like a prestigious kind of level with where it's only being played in certain times of the year so people are kind of looking forward to that window of test cricket rather than just kind of being spread out throughout the whole year. But we'll also, it will do what we are seeing right now with the game of cricket. It will become, it's 365 days of the year. And so what it might hurt as far as Test cricket is concerned is that you might not always get your major players into the test arena because they're going, you know, they're playing how many series franchise crickets or uh, cricket tournaments around the world and their bodies will be buggered. So and then and then you just might get as we are seeing now players just want to play T Twenty and don't worry about test cricket. So it's it's a it's a really it'll be a fascinating watch. Let's say that. Where's Test Cooker going? 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. It was 1989. My thoughts were short. My hair was long. Caught somewhere between a boy and man. She was 17 and she was far from me. Time in Northern Michigan. Splashing through the sandbar, talking by the campfire. It's the simple things in life, like when and where. 
SENZ all summer long in the summer of 2024 with Stephen McIver and Finn James on Mornings with Smithy. It's 11.27. It is going to another playoff hole in the LPGA Tour with Nelly Corder missing the birdie putt and then Lydia Cohn eating a four-footer. And it was a good four-footer to push it to that extra playoff hole and she has done that. So it's still game on in the LPGA, LPGA Drive-On Championship in Bradenton in Florida. Uh, Chris on the Timber Bed Botex line says, please, Stephen, what's going on in the AFC Championship game? Well, actually, I'm just watching right now, and I think maybe, no, bungled touchdown. Bungled touchdown by Flowers. Oh, my gosh, he dropped it like a, a half a foot before the line. So K- Kansas City 17 Baltimore 7, Kansas City 17, Baltimore 7, and it's now Kansas City ball. 14.52 to go in the fourth quarter. You know what, Finn? Here's the funny thing. I reckon this is the, everybody's been writing Kansas City off, but championship teams you just can't write off, right? You just And they've, they've been coming slowly, slowly, slowly. It would not surprise me if they go all the way again, mind you. Depends who they get, right? Can't beat experience, Stephen, unfortunately, oh, in sport. You are so wise this morning. <laughs> you are so wise. Can we, just, uh, can we just remind people of the touchdowns, please, in this uh, AFC Championship game? Week Houston did not have a single snap inside the 25. Here's Kansas City from the 19, throwing at the goal line, and it's caught by Kelsey for the touchdown. With Kyle Hamilton all over him, the matchup you wanted to watch, Kelsey wins it. And the Chiefs drive for an opening touchdown. This is on the pocket. That's away from Chennault, who's trying to get after him for a second time. But the ball is thrown to the end zone. And it's caught. Flowers with the touchdown. The Ravens strike right back from 30 yards out. Second and goal. <laughs> it's back to Pacheco. Pacheco drives across for the Chiefs touchdown. And it's 17-7. Flowers, as I said, moments ago, fumbling a dead set touchdown. I suppose you could say, what do you mean dead set? He didn't do it. But he was so close to the line, just had to hang on. It would have been a touchdown, and it would have been 17-14. But right, 13-57 to play, and they're first and 10. Uh, The Chiefs, it's 17-7. Seven, the defending, reigning Super Bowl champion. So we should do our, our TAB odds update and the live update on that as well. Check out the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz and bit safely R18. So let's uh, just quickly, you look at the possession, Finn. Uh, 65-35, it's almost a 60-40 game. The Chiefs have been all over them and, and they have shut down Lamar Jackson. That's the key. So uh, let's just have a look at the, well, okay. So the live odds, are Ravens have just blown out. Like within, what was it? Three minutes ago, they were at 245 head-to-head to win. They've just blown out to 550. And Kansas City have just gone to 111. 111 for the win on the live odds. Kansas City win by 1-13. to 13, is sitting at 131 and 14 plus. 14 plus. What are we at now? Yeah, another bit. Well, you never know. In the way they're playing, 14 plus might be a good nudge at uh, 475. 
Uh, some of these other cool options. Fourth touchdown scorer. Fourth touchdown scorer. Okay. So let's just look at the two guys who already scored touchdowns. Pacheco is paying 10 bucks. I'm still a, I'm a Kelsey. We're all Kelsey fan. Well, I'm a Kelsey fan, even if you don't like Taylor Swift. Lucky bugger. Uh, he's, he's paying 10 at all. Are you a t- Taylor Swift fan? Not particularly, no. Okay. Not, I won't get into it. <laughs> why, 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 why won't you get into it? Why, why will you not get into it? What's the problem with <laughs> you know, No you, comment. No, 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 no. You say, I will not get into it, and then you don't even offer I'm, I'm pushing you for an explanation. You don't like her, right? You don't like her music. No comment. No, Finn, Finn, I will not turn the microphone off until you give me an answer. I don't really like her music, no. Oh, that, wasn't, okay. oh, gee, that wasn't that hard, was it? It's not, nah. it's not a it's not that deep. massive it's revelation. Not that deep. It's not that deep. No, no, no. It's just funny that she's at every city, every, sorry, Kansas Chiefs game now. Well, it's just hilarious. Well, Obviously, I mean, she's loved with up, Kelsey, right? but they're, oh, yeah. They're all loved up. It's just funny. They give her so much screen time during the games as well. It's, oh. And I know, I know it upsets a, a lot of fans, but it's also about the one word that they get right. They understand entertainment. Hang on, points start. No, I don't understand. I, you understand that. Total points. Okay, total points. Over 34.5 points is worth two bucks. We're not even close to that. Under is a buck 80. So under 34.5 is a buck 80. And they just keep changing on me. Over 34 has just jumped out to, to 190. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs 14 and plus is now 405. Ravens by 1 to 13. Well, that's blown right out to 9. Dollars and ten, and the Kansas City Chiefs are still at one thirty-four, uh, at one thirteen. So those are your uh, live uh, TABLs. We actually should take a look, dare I say it, at the other match, which is the San Francisco 49ers against the Detroit Lions. I think that's time to go around twelve thirty. Now the 49ers are red hot head to head. They're at one twenty-eight, and the Detroit Lions at three seventy-five. Now when I put on that uh, Smithy's multi. The Lions were sitting at 360, so a little bit more money's gone on the 49ers. So plus seven and a half, uh, 183 for the Lions, plus one, uh, one, under seven and a half is 197 for the San Francisco 49ers. Overs at 187 and unders for the Lions at 187. So figure that out yourself. So that is the uh, TAB live update on the AFC Championship game, which is in progress, 17-7, Baltimore, fourth, 12-26 to go, first and 10, Kansas. And the NFC Championship game coming up, oh, sack. No, it wasn't a sack. It wasn't a sack. Yes, it was a sack. Just about broke the ankles. And now there's a bit of a rumble going on in the backfield. With one of the uh, O-line having a crack at one of the uh, defensive lines saying, leave my, leave my f- quarterback alone. Ah, Mahomes, he'll sort itself out. Oh, what's the time right now? 11.35. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. Turn it up. What's making waves? Let's find out. I'll tell you what's making waves right now, Finn James. They're on the second playoff hole, back to the 18th on the LPGA Tour in Florida. Lydia Ko and Nelly Corder going at it. Uh, Nelly Corder's had about 54 drops because her second shot went behind the advertising hoarding. Could someone tell me what the rule is there? Obviously, she won't lo- uh, lose a shot because I think the same thing happened with uh, Lydia Ko. But she took about five drops with the official there and he had a tee in the, the ground and now she's approaching for her what would seemingly be her third shot onto the green. 
And I can't, and she's swore she's pushed it right past the hole. So I'd like to see where Lydia Coe's shot is because she'll probably putt for the win, booty in the win. It's all go. It's all go. So okay, just had to update. Just had to do the update. That was what's making news right now, Finn. What's making news on your side of the fence? Got drama in the FA Cup, Stephen. Drama. 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 Non-league side, uh, Maidstown United. Who? Massive upstep. <laughs> exactly. Who? Who? <laughs> Who? Be careful. Be careful because you know one of our listeners or three. They're going to be a ma- they're they're gonna gonna be from Maidstown. Maidstown. Your Maidstown. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Anyway, uh, they, they beat Ipswich in the uh, FA Cup fourth round 2-1. Uh, to one. And they are 98 places. Like Ipswich is 98 places above Maidstone United in the football pyramid. Because so, uh, they in the uh, uh, they're in the, one, the same championship with Wrexham, right? I'm pretty oh, sure. Is that right? The champ? Oh, hang on. No, they're if you're a championship team, you're one step below Premier League. Yes, I'm pretty sure Ipswich That's is right. in the championship. Championship. Um, Co- and yes, they lost two one. And Ipswich dominated the entire match. I'm not going to lie, but uh, there was two <laughs> shots on target. <laughs> but I'm going to read these stats out to you, Stephen. I still can't believe this. Hang on. This- stop. Just stop one moment. Just stop a little moment, because Lydia Co has a part that looks. I wouldn't know how do you measure, how do you measure that? Finn, is that like a good twenty footer? That's a good it's 20, far. That's a good twenty footer. Pretty far. Okay, let's see what happens. Just waiting, waiting, waiting. There we go. Moving close, moving close. Does it come back in? Uh, she's got pulled up short. She's still left with about a six footer. Oh, okay. Carry on. Stats time from Maidstone. Rudely interrupted by Lydia Ko and her potential to win <laughs> win this little tournament there. Okay. Sorry, yes. The stats of this game are quite remarkable. Uh, Ipswich completely dominated, as you obviously probably mm. thought they would. 78% possession, 38 shots with 13 on target and 11 corners. Maidstone United, 22% possession. <laughs> 22 two shots two on target and they won 2-1 <laughs> 22% of the ball with and two <laughs> shots two on both. target and both in the back of the net They par- essentially they're trying to park the bus all game and counter attack and well it worked and this is what Maidstone United's manager said he said this is what it means to our community it is all about us being together on days like this it was up to the players to go out and enjoy competing against a fantastic championship side Oh, look, the officials just walked onto the green again because I think they are allowing Co to putt out, which would suggest, would it not, that Nellie Corder might be putting for the win. She didn't look very happy. Looks really grumpy, Nellie Corder, at the moment. Okay, let's just keep going. We'll just keep folks informed on this one. Uh, what else is making news, Finn? Uh, the Aussie NBL has signed an MOU with the Japanese Basketball League. And what is an MOU? A Memorandum of Understanding? That is correct, Stephen. So they've signed that. Um, they ex- they're going to look to explore the, the two leagues kind of not so much combining, but being in sort of like a, a partnership for the years to come. So this is the Japanese version of our NBL or the, the Aussie NBL? Yeah, yeah, essentially yeah. the same thing. Very similar level. Um, actually, fun fact, Isaac Fotu plays in the Japanese uh, Basketball League, who is a brother of Dan Fotu, if you did not know. No, I didn't He plays know. for the Tall Blacks, and he's over there, so we and, do have players over there. And you're saying that uh, that B-League is of similar standard to the Aussie NBL? Yeah, it's very, very similar. I think they have a similar amount of teams, and the standard of the basketball is very similar. So for the two to combine, it's quite cool. And essentially, they're going to try and have a bit of some preseason games, and they're thinking of bringing youth teams over to compete in Australian competitions oh, and vice versa. Sorry, she hold out. I had to re- I had to apologize. <laughs> she lipped it. Lydia Co lipped it. Now I think if I'm right, the graphics are really poor here. They don't tell you that I think it could be a two shot or a one shot. Oh no, Nelly Corders. 
I think nearly called it to win. Oh, that lip. Sorry to interrupt. I might have to get to repeat the last part. Oh, man, it just lipped like a bugger around the hole. Okay, so the last two lines of your conversation <laughs> were, I apologise. You're all right, Stephen. I was saying, the two organisations looking to combine and essentially they're going to have some preseason games against each other, maybe in the in the later years, and also they're going to bring youth clubs from Japan over to Australia for competitions as well. Okay, Nelly caught it for par and the win. So the, she's had this before. It was for birdie and the win. Now it's for par and the win. Miss, 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 miss. Oh, 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 oh straight down the gurgler. Straight down the gurgler. And the second event of the LPGA Tour goes to Nellie Corder. You see, the other big thing, if Lydia had won that, it would have, she would have now finally qualified for the LPGA Hall of Fame. Yeah, but hang on. It's okay. She's got another 54 tournaments this year to play, so I don't think she's going to be too, too much of a thing. It was quite exciting. I apologise for interrupting you. Now, uh, so Japanese players and basketball players in general... Uh, what are they like? And don't say they're not tall. I actually haven't done a lot of research on the JBL, but for the most part, it's a basketball league. So I'm assuming if it's a if they're signing an MOU with their NBL, quite a similar level. I'm assuming they're having a number of imports as well, like the NBL does have with a lot of Americans and Europeans coming over to play. So essentially, it's probably quite similar with local Japanese players as well it's compared quite, to the NBL. It's quite interesting, having spoken to Justin Nelson this morning and the growth of basketball in this country, which we know is exploding. Has the Europe the Euro League is is enormous, right? It's massive, second like, like, second biggest in the world, hundred percent. So to give it give it context. When you say second biggest in the world, we know they play eighty two games a season each team in the NBA. Is it similar in the Euro League, or is it or is it a truncated season? I couldn't I couldn't actually tell you the exact. You can't. Number Why not? Because I'm not the biggest Euro League fan. I can't say I've watched. I don't even know how you can watch it in New Zealand. For fun fact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, it's not a fun fact, it's an annoying fact, that's what you're supposed yeah, to say. <laughs> exactly, um, but it's similar level, there's so many ex-NBA players that go and play in the EuroLeague and European players from the EuroLeague that go to the NBA and then return home to finish their careers over there, so the level is just as good. But then you, then you get Victor Wimbayama, who mm-hmm. goes as the number one pick at like eight feet tall, who came out of the EuroLeague as a, as a kid. Yeah, exactly. Like he started playing, uh, I think, in the pros for Metropolitan nine six two in France when he was maybe seventeen. Kind of like one of the better players in the NBA right now is Luka Doncic, who started playing for Real Madrid when he was sixteen years old. So it's a really good opportunity for these younger European players to play against growing men and then go to the NBA. But are we talking about freaks? I mean, freaks in the nicest possible way. Tall, incredibly talented individuals. Yeah, I mean, freaks in a good way. Wimbin Yama is a freak of nature. Seven foot five, eight foot wingspan, playing like an NBA guard. He's a freak. Eight foot wingspan. It's stupid. I, I saw I saw a picture of him on socials the other day on Instagram, and he was uh, going high for a sla- uh, slam dunk, and he's like seven. What is he? Seven. Seven four, seven five. And this guy is six ten. He looks like a, a tiny person against him. I was like. It was quite revealing to say the the difference that we see in that in that young man. All right, uh, let's uh, 
Should we talk to Staffy next, eh? We should. Okay, all right. It's at 11.48. Afternoons with Staffy, not too far away. 11.54, and time for a good yarn with someone I haven't spoken to much, at, if at all, over summer is Staffy. Hey, mate, uh, happy new year. The big Jeddah, they tell me I have to call oh, you now. Yeah, that's, that's Sam. Just because I went to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for the second preliminary regatta uh, for the America's Cup. And there's like the, he's got this thing about the big cheddar. Oh, the big cheddar. Yeah, the big cheese. Yeah, so, but he goes the big cheddar. The big so. cheddar. And I'll, I'll let him have it, but, you know. It, I'll it, just call you Stephen because I'm you. a professional. <laughs> <laughs> How's your summer been, mate? Oh, it's been awesome. Yeah? yeah it's, um, yeah, it's been brilliant. I had lots of uh, catch-ups. Like one of my best mates was over from the UK for a month, so I had some good quality time for the, uh, sort of a couple of weeks. It was great. Do you talk sport with your mates all the time? Uh, no. I, I, I sort of intentionally – I watch a little bit, but I don't get as invested in it as you do here because you need a break, you know. You need Deacon a break Bruce. from it and um, come in fresh and reappreciate the beauty of sport. Oh, look, I, I was sitting down with Finn this morning looking around and, and was watching, I watched the Yannick Sinner semi-final against Djokovic and I went, oh, Wow. Mm. And, but, uh, but I think we were all going, oh, wow, because we'd never seen Djokovic play so poorly, which took a little bit of the gloss, I think. And there was a narrative that others wanted to play. But then I watched the, him come down from two sets to beat Medvedev in the, uh, in the final. Was it what Medvedev? Yeah. Uh, you're going, wow. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable tennis. Did you, did you watch any tennis at all? I watched a little bit. I watched a bit of Coco Goff. I watched a bit of Aaron Routliff. And I watched the Sinner Djokovic. That's that's sort of it. How hard they had a ball now, these I days. know. I mean, racket technology's taken to a ridiculous point, hasn't it? Yeah. And then we get the cricket over the weekend and <sighs> and the young West Indian, you know, seven for sixty eight with a broken toe. Have you ever can, is there anything in your memory banks, those big memory banks of yours that can see something similar happen before? Oh like not really. Um Probably on a smaller scale and probably not as much watched was the Irish women's seven team yesterday winning their first ever World Series title, beating Aussie in Aussie. It was a, that was incredible. Yeah, that was because amazing. there were two both men and women. The Australian teams were in the finals, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were looking to go. Yee-hoo. Yeah, and they didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. How good were the Irish team? They're just uh, grafters, like no stars. No stars. Aussie are full of stars, like two or three rock stars. But the Aussie were affected in the tournament. They've got these two sisters who are phenomenal. Mm. And one got suspended for, it must have been four or five games in game one. She came back for the final. And the other sister was suspended <laughs> in the semi final. So they never had the two of them. Um, but it was fantastic. And the cool thing was Perth, as a sevens venue, looked like Wellington 10 years ago. Well, a friend of ours, oh, you would know the, the name of Christina Eddy that used yep. to work for Sky and has now gone to live in Perth with her new man, is now working for Hockey Australia. Mm. Just post this photo with this, her in this pink jumpsuit with her, her man dressed like he's off to the beach in Hawaii and, and around all these other people. It was like going off. It was brilliant. And they didn't have it at the big stadium. They didn't have it at... Um, Optus. Didn't have it at Optus. Didn't have it at Subiaco. They had it in a... In a smaller ground, um, probably, I'm going to guess, 10, 10 to, to 12. Yeah, yeah. Packed, pumping, 
lots of crowd shots of Nick White, who's the Wallaby halfback. He was in the crowd dressed up as a Richie Benno with all of his <laughs> mates. And I just looked at that going, I used to love Wellington when it was like that, but uh, the chance is gone. And now we're not even a stop on the circuit. In fact, that's one of the things I want to ask people in the first hour, Stephen, is people's view on the sevens now like I watch a lot of it particularly the women's sevens I love our Blackfern sevens and I watch a lot of it and watched most of it over the weekend and no one here did no one here watched it and that's okay we're all freedom of choice so people's appetite for sevens and people's appetite for test cricket which we touched on last week um, and I tongue-in-cheek someone on Twitter put whoever said test cricket's dead is joking themselves and I quoted it and tweeted, yep, the 35 people in the crowd loved it as well. No one was there. Um, test cricket's fantastic, but no one goes. We watch on TV. We have it on in the background. I said last week um, to Sammy that I think test cricket is a radio product now because our attention spans, we can't sit down for seven hours and watch a day's test. Now, this is a funny thing because young 22-year-old Finn in there not a huge cricketing background, but loves it. And he says, I will have it on the radio. 22-year-old. Yeah. Like, like taking us back to the 1950s. Yeah. I'll sit and play my games, yeah. but I'll have it on the background. Yeah, I had the test match on, on SENZ over the weekend. I didn't. I watched the last last yeah, dying to, stages right. last night like everyone else. And it was a fantastic match, but why aren't they going to watch? 30 bucks a ticket. Yeah. Uh, who, who's on the show? Uh, so, mornings with Ian Smith is going to be on afternoons with Staffy. Uh, so, <laughs> the, sm- great, the great one. The great one will be on just after one, just reliving that, that test match. And I want to ask him about the Black Caps test squad as well. He, he's, uh, he's been in Australia for so, so long. But I'm um, looking forward to talking to Smithy uh, just after one o'clock. Before that, 12.30, an Irish woman named Sarah Rowe. She's a triple code national representative for Ireland. Gaelic football, soccer, and something else. Um, hurling? She, Would it be hurling? No, it's not hurling. Um, international rules as well. She's played for Ireland. Um, she's played for Collingwood. She's played for Brisbane in soccer in the A-League. So we've got her. We've got Dave Worsley out of Melbourne and Phoenix Karaka, captain of the Silver Ferns. Yeah. Ferns, hmm, another P3, wasn't it, as we say in radio racing terms? P3. P3, all right. Afternoons with Staffy coming your way. Get amongst it, why don't you? Because it's always good. 0800 150811 or get uh, Staffy on the Temper Bedpost text line on double eight double three. On behalf of Finn James, I'm Stephen McIver. Until next time, catch you later.